Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Today feels a little bit like a momentous episode because we are back in the waters of Vanderpump Rules, touching back down on the scandal that rocked the nation, perhaps even the world last year, Scandaval. And definitely am feeling drawn to go deep into these waters this 11th season of the show and had definitely been thinking for a minute that I was going to want to do an episode approaching the new season where we just kind of touch down and catch up to speed with what's been going on between the seasons because obviously the cast members have had a lot to say (laughs) in the interim. Everyone's sort of been on their journey with this and there was just something that was calling to me about really again, sort of touching down on sort of where we're at as compared to where we were at the end of last season. And then as the season premiere date was approaching, it came to my attention that Rachel, formerly Raquel, was starting her own podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue, and definitely kind of had an interest in hearing what she had to say. It started to become clear that there was a real contrast, certainly between Rachel's walk with this journey, both in terms of not coming back to the show, starting this podcast, which we'll get into it, really kind of has an emphasis on plumbing the depths of, you know, why she did what she did and bringing awareness to mental health and things of that nature. And then on the other side, you have Mr. Sandoval, who it seems to me is taking a a much more divergent path, obviously going back into the show, diving, you know, headfirst back into those waters. And we could say perhaps not being as devoted to what we might call cultivating actual consciousness or accountability for his role in all this. So it just seemed to be like that there were a lot of divergent roads. And it just got me thinking about the episode that we did last year that so many of you loved, where we explored Scandaval in terms of archetypes and archetypal roles, particularly with uh, Tom as Narcissus and Raquel, now Rachel, as Echo, Ariana as the Queen. And it just suddenly felt right to me to perhaps revisit this topic through that lens of these archetypes and where this experience has taken them and what that says about their respective archetypes and the facets of these different archetypes and perhaps what we can all learn from this as we're all navigating our own lives from a place of how we tend to orient towards the world and the personas we adopt and adapt to and 
cultivating consciousness around the limitations of those personas and also perhaps the unexpected gifts of those personas and perhaps the unexpected gifts of the conflicts and the dramas that we unconsciously create in our lives that are then perhaps beckoning us deeper into possible transformation. So having said all that, I thought no one better to continue this conversation than with the woman who helped us initiate it, She is a dear friend of mine of many years. She is officially a friend of the podcast. Please welcome back to the deep dive, Kirsten McMillan. Hi, Kirsten. Hey, so happy to be here. Oh, good. Is there really no one better to have this conversation with? (laughs) Well, in context of this podcast, no, because you were the one who was here last time. So you're all up to speed. Uh, How are you today? I'm so good. I'm very honored to be here with you again. Okay, good. Well, I'm honored to have you here. Yeah, we're going to jump into it. I think I'll just say up top that Kirsten and I both really did our homework for this episode. We are all caught up on what is now all 10 episodes of Rachel Goes Rogue, which is Rachel's podcast. We have listened to the now infamous, notorious Nick Vile interview with Tom and Tom. We've listened to the Two Teas in a Pod interview with Tom and Tom. So we've been just sort of neck deep in the waters of sort of post-Scandaval Scandaval. And we're here to jump into all of it. I will say just up top before we get into it, I'm a little bit nervous because I have this deep desire to jump into these kind of waters and to dismantle them, you know, as deeply as we can. And when it comes to Scandaval and Tom and Rachel, I always forget until I'm kind of feeling my back way into them and my experience of them and their energy, just how fucking complicated both these people are. I just feel like there's so much going on with both of them all at once, particularly Tom, who I feel like, you know, on one level, you've just got his basic, you know, what we could call his psychology just as a human being. But then also, you know, I feel like there's a fair likelihood there's addiction issues here as well in terms of love and sex addiction. And then just the fact that this is such a multi-layered guy in general who has a relationship to like being the magician and the sorcerer, like he's just a complicated, he's like a, a shape-shifting, gender-bending magician. And then you got Rachel, who also is a very complicated woman in her own right. I just feel like there's layers upon layers upon layers in terms of her personal psychology. Mm. And I have to say, even listening to Rachel Goes Rogue, it revealed things to me about her past that I never even knew about before, where I was like, oh shit, this is a whole other layer that I didn't even know about from her history. So... These are two complicated individuals. Obviously, neither one of them is here today. Obviously, neither one of us has a personal relationship to either one of them. They're not here to give us context, to answer questions. So as always, we hold all of this lightly. This is playful exploration. We'll see where it wants to take us. The deeper intention of all of this is just to explore themes and issues that are hopefully a kind of learning point for people listening. And we'll just kind of see where this wants to go without having any specific demand about arriving somewhere definitive. Yeah, (laughs) you and I have not actually like talked about this in private very much at all. So like I said, we've both done our homework. We've both listened to a shitload of podcast episodes. We're now four episodes into the new season. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm just curious if, if we were to sort of pick up from where we left off 
and sort of touch down on where we are at now. Where are you kind of big picture? Like, what are the big takeaways that you have gotten by submerging yourself in the world of present day Tom Sandoval and Rachel Savannah Levis? There's a part of it, part of it with Tom where I always have a deep compassion for him, even though I'm very aware of how triggering what he is, he has done to everyone. I feel like people get angry with Tom for not being more apologetic and sorrier than he is because they want him, they want to see that he is feeling a core sense of shame about what he has done. And I don't think Tom can access that. I think that he, he feels to me, I know that in the Dr. Drew episode, uh, where Dr. Drew was on Tom Sandoval's podcast, Dr. Drew had had apparently said, no, you're not a narcissist. I don't, I'm not qualified to diagnose anybody as a narcissist or not. However, it is interesting because he has a lot of narcissistic traits, one of which is you can't get to that core. You never feel truly beheld by them, truly seen by them. And a narcissist will step over the bodies quicker than anyone you have ever met, which I think is how Ariana must feel slightly unvalued, you know, within the way he carried on uh, with her, despite the fact that she was probably the best woman that he had ever been with up to that point. And so basically I see it the mostly, mostly in Tom, in Raquel, in Rachel, I'm going to call her Rachel now because she calls herself Rachel. In Rachel, I actually see a lot of sincerity. Nobody's going to do anything perfect. And I know that people want to see her fail more than just about anything, but I actually see a lot, uh, a lot more sincerity in her to be quite honest with you. Well, I mean, you've said a lot, so I want to kind of slow it down and not skip over anything. So I will say, yes, general statement, I agree with you. And we'll get into this more, I'm sure, as the conversation unfolds. But I want to say, I actually, big picture, am am quite impressed and also really inspired by the road that Rachel is walking with this. I mean, I I knew that she had checked herself into a facility. You and I both know, you know, there are good and bad therapists. There are good and bad Mm -hmm. treatment centers. I always have a little bit of skepticism with this stuff because as I've talked about on this podcast, good help can really be hard to find. And I have to say, though, that, you know, it, it really sounds like she's gotten real qualified help and, you know, I mean, and she extended her stay. She ended up being in there for three months. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of examples now, but, you know, I, I know reality TV is littered with examples of people who check into treatment centers or rehab and they just want to get out mm-hmm. first moment they can. And, and Rachel's talked extensively in her podcast, like not only did she willingly and voluntarily extend it, but she really talks with consciousness about just her awareness that that leaving the facility was going to be the biggest challenge of all and sort of setting her life up, including not going back to the show, including cutting off ties with Tom mm-hmm. in order to benefit her greater mental health. So this is all just to say, it's clear she's learned a lot. It's clear she's actively working on herself. And yes, to your point, is it quote unquote perfect if such a thing exists? No, I'm sure we'll get into that. And I actually do want to say, I do feel a point of connection in them where I there's something very specific in both of them that I think is currently being bypassed, perhaps, although it is also kind of the deepest, most sophisticated level and layer to access. So it's I'm not saying that in a critical or judgmental way towards Rachel. I think she's still a very young woman. She's not, I don't think she's even 30 yet. So for her to be doing the work that she's doing and to be showing the level of awareness that she's already showing... 
I think, like I said, I think it's really encouraging and inspiring, but that's it. So we'll get to Rachel, but coming back to Tom, you know, it's so interesting, you know, like you, you know, obviously I can't diagnose someone as officially narcissistic. And I actually am, I really have this impulse to get a, like an actual professional on here to have a conversation about what textbook like diagnosis narcissism actually means. Cause I just feel like this word is getting so used and abused today. So I will just talk about Tom in the way that I experience him from a psycho-spiritual level, perhaps even from a therapeutic level. And we'll sort of see where this wants to go. But, you know, I mean, one of the number one questions that I sort of get from people is, yeah, like why can't or won't Tom take a deeper level of responsibility? And I want to say, first of all, I agree with what you just said. I don't know in his current state if he's even capable of it. So like, I just kind of want to say that out, like, because I think on some level, there's something here where people, yeah, they want him to see it. They want Mm -hmm. him to hear it. They want him to get it. They want him to feel it on a deeper level. And I Mm kind of want to say to people, I don't think you're ever getting that. I don't think he's capable of it right now. I think when people want that of him, there's an assumption that he's at a certain place of mental health and emotional groundedness where he even could get it. And Mm -hmm. I do think this is a guy, especially, you know, he's, I mean, he's not old, obviously, but he's getting older and he's at that point where he is having experiences in conflicts that are potentially taking him into the heart of his own limitations. And as you know, Mm -hmm. we kind of all have a choice when these things happen. Mm -hmm. We can either take the Rachel route and really use it as an opportunity to learn more about ourselves and Mm -hmm. kind of resolving what got us there in the first place. Or, you know, if we're unwilling, if we're too scared, we can double down. And I really believe it's in those moments where we double down, where we start to really lose the plot more and more as we get older. And I will just say that, I mean, I've said this before, but people are still asking me about it. I really do think we're watching Tom get worse over time. So Mm -hmm. I think the seeds were obviously already there, you know, from the beginning. Like we saw the secrecy, we saw the infidelity, we saw the ambivalence in his relationship with women. But I do think it's gotten worse over time. And I think right now he's at a real turning point where something is shutting down. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm saying all this is like, just to come back to the point I was making, which is I don't know that he's even capable of getting it right now. So, you know, I kind of just want to say to people listening to this, if there is something inside you (laughs) that Mm -hmm. has a demand that he gets it, or you find yourself triggered by him not getting it, it might be time to really see where it takes you. If you surrender the notion that he's ever going to get it. Cause it, to me, it's almost like a metaphor of like, you know, family of origin or, you know, people in our lives that we love that maybe we've been holding out for a while for them to finally see and hear what we're saying Mm -hmm. to finally get it. You don't watch Potomac, but I feel like, you know, Candace on Potomac for so long, I watched her struggle Mm -hmm. with wanting her mother to get something that her mother was Mm -hmm. never going to get because her mother simply can not see it. I think we all go through this at times, right? Where there are people in our lives mm-hmm. where there are just limitations in the relationship because they're not mm-hmm. capable of getting it. And so then it's our inner work to suddenly realize, holy shit, what do I do if I finally surrender the hope, expectation, or even demand that they're finally going to see and hear what I'm trying to get them to see and hear? 
And then what do I have to deal with inside myself here? Like what boundaries do I need to draw? What feelings does it bring up in me to surrender this hope, expectation or demand they're ever going to get it? Like, where does this take me? Because that's ultimately my inner work. So I'm just sort of saying, if you are someone (laughs) who deeply wants Tom to get it and gets triggered when Tom doesn't get it, I think it might be interesting to look at, like, where does it take you if you just surrender to the idea this guy, Mm -hmm. I think, look, in his current state of being, continuing to be involved with the show, continuing to be committed to these narratives, continuing to not, feels like not get real help that he needs. He ain't getting it. He's just never getting it. Like you just have to accept that with him on a certain level. I do want to talk about like my sense of what is at the core of his unwillingness to not look like, because again, there's just been this question that people bring in around why won't he apologize? Why can't he? So I want to speak to like what I sort of feel specifically there, but I know I just said a lot all at once. So is there anything you want to say? I loved everything you just said. And I loved the way you worded so many of those things. What you had said though, about, you know, when people who are getting so frustrated about it, you know, if you could just surrender it. Also, I would add to that before you go into the surrender to pause in that point of rage, that deep rage of why aren't you getting it? Why? Why can't you feel this? And what do you want that person to feel? What we want them to feel is ashamed of their behavior, like deeply ashamed of their behavior. But I think with Tom, because if you're a healthy person, you're not wanting that other person to feel ashamed of who they are as a human being, but being having shame of your behavior, of something you've done, regret, guilt... That can be a healthy, that's a, a signal to somebody that I actually, I am healthy. I'm a healthy person. I'm a safe person, right? And with Tom, not him not being able to, it doesn't ever feel like he can drop, despite what he says, it doesn't ever feel like he drops into that. And I think that people then get, it. what it looks like is people get angry because when you listen to him on these podcasts that you had me, you know, sort of do a little follow-up work on, He's like the death threats and the rage that his behavior has provoked in people in this past year, right? Since all of this spilled out into the um, Bravo sphere, that deep rage that people have felt. So instead of when he's not able to fully take accountability for his behavior and show some human sense of shame of what he's done, then people get so enraged and it feels like they then want to come for his core. And they want that shame to invade the core of who he is. Now you should be ashamed of who you are, right? And then that sense of that anger is something that all of us need to be looking at if we are triggered in this way when looking at him. Because if that's there, perhaps there's been someone in our life, somebody in my life, somebody in your life that could never really see you and could never really take, like you said, Jamie, He's not, I believe, just like you, I don't think he's ever going to get it. I, when I feel into Tom, there's a split. He's got his ego and his persona up here. All of the feelings, there's like a little bit of a gap and then all of this shame deep. And because he's so well defended and separated from it, we don't go down there. We don't go here. We stay up here. We stay up here. We stay up here. That's how he feels to me. And that's how he reads to me. And I think that's why he cannot deeply feel into the pain that he has caused people because he cannot deeply feel into his own pain. And then with Raquel, I completely agree with you. I think that the kind of help that she's getting is 
all just so on the right path. And what they did with her in those 90 days, you can tell that they have started really like the deep work with her. And she feels so sincere in what she's trying to do here. And I was very impressed with her willingness to lay claim on herself in her podcast without going into self-flagellation and shame. You know, I was very, very impressed with the way she's stepping into that version of taking responsibility for herself. I have more to say on that on deeper layers, but I'm just speaking now just on psychological layers, right? So I think she's truly in this. She's sort of right now for me, she's like becoming a champion. She's Mm -hmm. really on her hero's journey here, really. Yeah, we'll get more into that. Yeah, because there's yeah, there's a lot there. But yeah, I I agree with you, and you pretty much named what I was going to name, which is I have to imagine, you know, for people who do feel deeply triggered by Tom's unwillingness, perhaps inability to really step into a feeling of responsibility for what he's done. It's it's like it's this feeling of something's happened here. You know, like I want you to see and to hear and to recognize that something has happened here. I want you to see and hear and recognize the impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, let's say this is from Ariana's point of view, the impact this has had on me, you know? And so I think just speaking obviously uh, generally about triggers, I think anything that sort of triggers us, yeah, is absolutely information Mm -hmm. about something that's unresolved in us. So I know, so for me personally, Tom Sandoval is not, that's not like a triggering situation for me. What I've noticed, because I'm not too often triggered by reality TV people, but I've started noticing like the thread for me and the people who do Mm -hmm. trigger me is meanness, like people who are mean. So actually Lala used to trigger me a lot. That's actually now changing. (laughs) And I have to imagine I'll be getting into Lala more and more um, as the season goes on. But, you know, I realized like what was triggering me about Lala was there was a certain quality of meanness you know, I felt the same way about Monica and Salt Lake City this season. And so for me, it's like, you know, it it, it doesn't take Dr. Freud to figure it out. Like, I, you know, I grew up um, on the receiving end of a lot of cruelty and meanness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can kind of still feel that voice in me that's sort of like, don't be so mean to me. Like, obviously, there's still something there that's sort of mm-hmm. not fully resolved in me around that. So I just sort of say this as a personal example. Like, if you are someone who finds yourself, to your point, triggered by Tom's unwillingness to take responsibility for himself, and it does bring up a rage, I have to imagine there might be something in there. And this goes back to kind of my metaphor about like, dealing with the parents or the family of origin, you know, who have limitations of what they can take in. It's like that voice in you that might be saying, I want something seen and heard here. Mm-hmm. And then if I follow it even deeper, I think especially, you know, if we're talking about our own personal history and where it takes us, mm-hmm. usually those are also relationships where there's a tremendous amount of love. So it's like, I love you. I'm willing to love you. I want to be in relationship with you, but I can't get there if you're not willing to take responsibility for this thing that's happened or this pattern in our relationship that's had an impact on me. And it's like heartbreaking and it's infuriating. It's like all these things. And so that's why I'm speaking to this experience of like, Mm -hmm. where does it take you? I guess in this, in terms of Scandoval, it's like a metaphor, right? Where does it take you to surrender the demand on Tom to ever get it? And then, yeah, where does that take you in terms of your own personal history? Now, What I think is also interesting about this, and this will kind of segue a bit more into the deeper levels of Tom, is that I actually think we're also speaking to what it is in Tom, or at least in part, 
that can't won't let himself take in what he's done because I think Tom is someone who has felt very unseen. Mm-hmm. I think he's someone who's felt very unheard. And I think he feels like there are sort of like not actions against him, but wrongdoings against him that have been unanswered for. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting if you go, I think it was the Vile File interview where he was late and then Nick Vile was calling him out on being late. And Tom was like, well, you were late for my podcast. And Tom Schwartz was the one who was like, oh, Tom Sandoval has whataboutism. It's like, well, but what about you? But what about you? What about you? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting insight because even though it's sort of being played casually, almost for laughs in terms of like a superficial issue of, around Tom running late, I actually think whataboutism is very much at the core of Tom in a lot of ways. I feel like there's something in Tom like I said, that just feels so unseen and unheard. So it's like for him, and I'm going to try to talk about this. This is where I get nervous because it's like there's the present day situation with Ariana, which for me and the way that I look at life sort of serves as like a metaphor for deeper pattern, I think, in Tom. So there's the present day situation with Ariana, which I am sure has reverberations of something much earlier and much more historical for Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've explored this before in previous episodes, but I know it never hurts to, you know, reopen um, old topics because people forget or they haven't heard it. So what I want to say, it's like as Tom, you know, if I just sort of stick with this question of like what stops him for taking responsibility, like true responsibility for what he's done to Ariana and to show true contrition, I really do hear this voice. It's like, what about me? What about what I went through? Like, what about what you did to me? Like, Mm -hmm. you have to understand, I mean, if what I'm feeling is right, this is a guy who feels he has been wronged. And so for him to then apologize, it's like, you know, the voice is like, but this isn't fucking, I mean, the Nick Vile thing is such a great metaphor because in Tom's mind, Nick Vile was late first. That's what's going on in Tom's mind. Nick Vile was late to my podcast first. Mm -hmm. So now I'm late to your podcast and you're calling me out for it and asking me to apologize for it. So let's just go with Tom's version of that. Whether that's true or not, that's Tom's version of it. If Tom believes his version of it, it makes total sense in his mind why he would be like, well, what the fuck are you talking? This isn't fair. What about me? You were late. Why don't you have to answer for being late? Why am I the bad guy? It's whataboutism. But I think that's what's going on in his core. I think that's what's going on towards Ariana. You know, what I've always felt with Tom is that he has felt betrayed by Ariana. I felt like back in the day when they got together, Ariana, you know, and I think this is also where we get into the possible love and sex addiction, but that's another story. I think that Ariana was kind of there as his exit out of this relationship. I think she was very much the quote unquote cool girl compared mm-hmm. to crazy Kristen. She was the Raquel of that day. She was the new answer. Mm-hmm. You're the answer. You're the new relationship and you're the cool girl. And we have this bond and we're like a solid couple. And I really feel like Tom feels as though he was sold a bill of goods that then wasn't fully delivered Mm. because he gets into this relationship with her. Again, this is, I think, where the addict comes in. When you hear even Tom talk about what he wanted from his relationship with Ariana, like his complaints, it's like, why can't we go hand gliding? Why can't we go to the desert and do shrooms? It's all these like 
peak experiences, right? He's he's chasing that high. Mm-hmm. To me, again, it feels very, he thinks in these sort of addicty terms of like the next peak high experience, right? It's not about, <laughs> you know, building like a daily foundation of like love and support and trust. He's almost like superficial, you could call it like little boy fantasy peak experiences. So, you know, I think that he went into the relationship really kind of putting it on a pedestal, feeling like he was promised something that he was really sort of chasing after. And then reality intrudes, right? I think in a lot of different ways. And again, we're not privy to all the ins and outs of the relationship, but we Mm -hmm. do know Ariana has had major mental health struggles. We know she's had major body image issues. We know she's had issues with her sexuality. She's required a lot of care Mm -hmm. and being looked after and taken care of. And Tom's like, he's got an investment in being the good little boy. So he's going to sort of play his part and sort of take care of her. And then, you know, if we believe what he says, and I, I do believe there's truth to this, just even based on what I've seen in, of Ariana on the show. There's also a relationship to her, perhaps like belittling him. I mean, we've seen it on the show. Like it happens. I'm not saying this in any way, like Tom's a victim or it justifies what he did, but I'm speaking to Tom's possible experience of feeling like something happened here that wasn't what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in this situation where it's like, if I leave you, I'm the bad guy. I become the villain. But like, I feel sort of duped. I can't sort of bring this in his mind, honestly and directly so I'm just going to do what I do, which is sort of act out in secret (laughs) as my outlet, you know, but then he gets caught doing that. Right. And so then he really does become the bad guy. And I think in Tom's mind, it's like, you know, the voice I hear is just kind of like, but I was only doing this. I mean, essentially because you gave me no choice. Like, what was I going to do? Like, if I, if I stay, I'm miserable. If I leave you, I become the villain. You know, if I resent you, I'm the bad guy because I'm not sensitive to your mental health. And like, he feels set up. Yeah. And so it's him feeling set up that causes him to go, I mean, again, in his mind, to go out and act out in these ways. Again, there's this sort of wrinkle of what I think is possibly a love sex addict. So he's also sort of looking for that next thrill, that next high, whatever it is. But, you know, I'm going out and acting because of the situation you put me in. Now I'm caught again. Mm -hmm. And I actually become the bad guy. And it's not fucking fair because I wasn't the bad guy first. Like you've made me the bad guy. So what about you? What about your part in it? So I have thoughts about like how a pattern like this might get set in history. But again, I feel like I'm saying a lot all at once. So let me just stop and just, first of all, does this make sense? Am I being clear in what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Yes, very. And do you have anything you want to say? Yeah. Okay. So everything that you see, I also, I see, I think everybody can see that, right? And it's very frustrating when he, Anytime he's asked to take accountability for something and he'll kind of, yeah, yeah, I know it was bad that I did that, but you know, she, she was mean to me and this, that, and the other. So there's a couple of things there. If we want to talk about this on like the strictly psychological layers, then that's okay. You know, we can do that. You know, the, the feminine and the relationship belittling the masculine, the masculine feeling uh, this well of rage develop underneath the surface, but they know it's unacceptable. So they keep it gets deeper and pointier and then it erupts in something, right? Erupts in some version of of an explosion in their life. Sometimes it erupts in rage. I don't feel a lot of rage in him. 
at all, as far as like violent rage, I should say. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't? No, not not violent rage. Right. Like you're saying he doesn't have violent, but he does have rage. Yes. Well, I think that some some masculine people in that capacity, when they are the victim of that belittling, they can explode in violence. You know what I mean? I'm just saying that I don't see that in him. So then, of course, his version of that was to act out sexually and it humiliated Ariana. And I think that there's, I don't think he consciously humiliated her, but, you know, I think that subconsciously the humiliation was like a little, mm-hmm. okay, so that's that's that. Then you can get into a little bit further down, okay? And we can go into Ariana and Tom and we can say, you know, in this relationship, I experience Ariana as she has a well of very dense power in her. And it's she's very measured in the way she manages her power. She does not throw it around. It's not, she doesn't exploit it. It's there and she's aware of it. She doesn't brag in her behavior with it. I think there's a humility to it, but I think that it's almost there. All of the way, the way I experience her is no matter what the interaction is she's involved in, it's always her ace card in her back pocket. It's the level of confidence and swagger that she has when she operates. I feel there's like a, a knowledge of, of this tremendous power that she has access to. She has a real capacity also to wield it in a good way. Um, not everybody does. Okay, so then you get into a relationship with a Tom. Okay, now there's Tom, he's fun, he's this, that, and the other. He is lighthearted. And I think that someone lighthearted is good for someone energetically dense like her because she has that energetic denseness, right? And then I think someone lighthearted can actually be good for that. But the truth is, he has an underdeveloped masculine energy. You can get away with that because you brought up his age. You can get away with that in your youth. And it, it, can, it looks good on you. As we come into the midlife, right? And the midlife paradigm has extended and shifted. It's, it's remarkable. When we don't have a mastery of ourselves, it starts to look kind of kind of upsetting. And, and it can even look a little bit gross, depending on how it's being, how it's owning you and ragdolling you, right? And so with Tom, you know, when he had the band and the pants, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said the pants, but the pants always stand out in my mind when I think about him. And, you know, all of his fun stuff and the motorcycle with the sidecar and all of that. But I think there's a certain point where as they walked together, she kept having the ability to go on as far as the developmental phase is concerned. And I don't think he had the ability to carry on with her or if he did have it, he didn't want to. And that's where we get into the puer energy, right? And this is intoxicating. You might want to define what puer is because I don't think everyone knows. Oh, there's puer and puella. Yeah, it's kind of uh, similar to the word narcissism. I feel that these words are, are chucked around quite a bit. Puer, it's the eternal, preternatural, masculine youth the Peter Pan. Yeah, Peter Pan. Yeah. He does not want to grow up. Okay, and then the Puella is the feminine version thereof. That little, you know, sweet, you know, ingenue. And it doesn't matter your age. It's the part of us that does not want to go to the next phase in life, that we become intoxicated and sort of seduced in a love affair with a phase of development and life. We don't want to, we don't want to go on. And you know, it is said that Pueras and Puellas don't actually live very long chronologically. The, your puers and your puellas that don't want to go to these next phases, they, the Marilyn Monroe's of the world, that's the perfect feminine example of this, that they die young. It does not, they don't kill themselves. They die young. Elvis is another example of that. For whatever reason, the way their fate entangles with the world, 
it is, it's a young, it's a young death, a younger death. And we all have had these um, friends in our lives. Once you've lived a certain amount of time on this earth, you will look back and you will see that friend that, that had passed away, that Pu'er energy, that Puella energy. It's not why they die. It's one of the energies that was the driver of their life, right? Okay. And so when he's got this Pu'er energy, at first, what was quite charming and fun and seductive, I believe becomes frustrating when you have some of the gifts that Ariana has. And that's where the belittling comes into play. And so the thing about that is she's not actually mad. When when there's a man and a woman in a relationship like that, they're not usually mad at their partner. They're mad at themselves for being with someone that maybe wasn't able to behold the grander aspects of them. And to me, that's what I saw in her, all those little choppy belittlements. And I think that she wanted him to step into a stronger masculine energy. Please do not confuse sexual energy with masculine energy. That is not what I'm talking about here. To me, it read, and I'm happy to be wrong here, and I'm not a psychologist, but when I remember when she was going into that more depressed state, to me, I felt like it arced with certain realizations in that relationship that it was perhaps like, he's never going to be able to behold me. He is never going to be able to really see me. And when you are with someone who has a narcissistic uh, behavior pattern, again, I'm not going to call him a narcissist just because I'm not qualified to do so. But when we are with someone with a heavy narcissistic traits like that, you never feel fully beheld by them, fully appreciated by them. And, and even when they're saying certain things to you, you can tell they're saying certain things to you. It's not a full like they don't fully see you. They don't fully get you. And it's, it's oftentimes because they can only handle one half of a person. I actually kind of started to get like intuitive hits about their relationship and kind of the way it was quote unquote supposed to go. It's so interesting because when you were talking about Ariana sort of moving ahead in trajectory and Tom not being able to keep up, I almost suddenly got this sense. And obviously I'm not an astrologer or anything like that, but I suddenly just got this hit of truly oh, like they were only supposed to be together for a little while. It almost felt to me like he did come into her life for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that much about her, but I know she'd had like previous experiences with like really, like a really bad, abusive romantic relationship. You know, and it's almost like, because you were talking about the ways in which he was sort of dynamic as a young man. And he was like, that's the thing. It was more charming and endearing back then because he was still young. So yes, he had this joie de vivre, you know, and even Sheena has talked about this. He was the one person who was nice to me, you know, mm -hmm. when this all started, like he had kind of this open heart. And then even those ways and places where he was ridiculous and extra and over the top because he was younger, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. there was more of an endearing quality to it. Like, yeah, he was kind of douchey, but it just felt sort of fun and playful. And I just get this feeling like, oh, I can see how that could have, would have been a great vehicle to sort of drag Ariana out of a certain energetic muck and kind of get her back on her feet. But it just feels to me like, and then she was supposed to go. And what it makes me think of is just like, even now, you know, we see how she set herself up in her bedroom. It's mm -hmm. like, she's not living. I mean, both of them are like stuck in this house. Right. And she's not living in like an organized, clean, tidy, energy efficient bedroom. It's like, a mess. You can just, I mean, I can feel it through the TV. It feels like this like mm -hmm. molasses, you know, and obviously just the way that, you know, and again, 
I don't know her. I'm kind of making assumptions, but the way she leapt into this new relationship, it feels like there is something, and I think this is part of what they have in common, actually, very sort of codependent in her. Mm -hmm. And there's something in her that likes to, I think she has a resistance to actually integrating her own power and really leading with it. And so I just wonder from that standpoint, if this is where Ariana's kind of will or shadow side came into play, where she stayed in this relationship, both of them did, like, but much longer than she was ever supposed to be in it. And perhaps that's part of what was sort of really dragging her down. The other thing I want to add to that, I want to like create this braid right now. We're going to keep adding things in. It's all going to come together Mm -hmm. into a beautiful hairstyle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be a gorgeous braid on mermaid hair. So the other thing with Tom is the, because you brought up the Shane and Shay of it all. One of the archetypes that Tom holds. So when you are walking through this world, there are archetypal energies that are the undercurrents of our personality. You can stay in psychology if you want. You can just do that. And if you continue to go under, and these are, Jung was supposedly the first one who studied the archetypes and the myths. So they're sort of like the Jungians to this day are the ones that sort of are the ones that help us kind of like see these undercurrents in our lives, right? One of the archetypes, and we don't ever just hold one, okay? There might be times in your life where you are in one way more than another, right? You're just heavy on something. There's always a couple of things going on, right? So Tom has a heavy Dionysian energy in him. It's unbelievable. It is a very strong current in him. And just to Uh, give a little background on that for your listeners, for people that don't follow myth and archetype. Dionysian was widely known as the god of wine. He's not just wine though, okay? He's the god god of wine, the god of the vine, the god of music, the god of the harvest, like agriculture and uh, celebration. He would just, he loved to celebrate. And so the thing with Dionysius he was a demigod. So he was half god and then half, uh, I believe half nymph. Like his dad was Zeus. And we're going to get into like a lot more about this because there's a connection between him and Raquel that you're really going to, it's going to blow your mind. So with that, it's the Dionysian undercurrent. They compared to the, to be with the gods, to sit with the gods, you had to be a very special person, a special kind of person. Okay. With Dionysus, he hung out with everyone. He would take the low, the outcast the prostitutes, the drunks, anybody could experience Dionysus. Anybody could experience him. As long as you wanted to drink a little wine, be taken over by this God, be in celebration, be in music, be in the fun, be in the youth of it all. You could be with that. And that's where Tom, he likes that party. He likes to be in and live in that party. And it is good when someone is in a heavier space, to be brought up out of their heavier space through these um, lighter-hearted celebratory energies. So, all right, there you go. Okay, great. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I just, I keep having this impulse though to kind of like take this deeper into his psyche, you know, in terms of, because I talked about how I hold life from a perspective that, you know, as powerful co-creators, we're always drawing in people, places, and things that recreate historical pattern. And I think that's the spiritual journey. We recreate historical pattern so that we can, like, much like what Raquel is, Rachel's like a perfect example, right? She Mm -hmm. acted out unconsciously. 
Her shadow ran the show. She made these shadow choices. It blew up in her face. Mm -hmm. She made the choice to say, holy shit, let me go back and look at why I did what I did and what got me here. And in doing that, she's reclaiming vital parts of herself. Actually, I know we're talking about Tom. I'm going to like go on a little bit of a digression because I think it's such a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And it's funny because on her podcast, she'll even say things like, oh man, I lost my 20s to these relationships and to these choices. And I'm just, you know, or sometimes she even kind of regrets everything that's happened. And I'm sitting there like, no, how can you regret that? Like, how can you regret Scandaval? If this had not happened, you would still be living in the land of denial. You would still be totally unconscious to all these parts of yourself, to the people pleaser in you, to the addict in you. Like this because of the way you walked with it, it opened your eyes to something. And I want to say, and I think we'll sort of get there more deeply um, down the road, but it's fascinating to me that like Rachel is someone who has always had this relationship, certainly to social anxiety, but to also using her voice. This is a woman who literally two seasons ago was terrified to make a toast and James had to like Cyrano de Bergerac feed her the lines from behind the window. Now, because of this situation, she's actually saying, I have a drive and an impulse, mm-hmm. not just to share my side of the story, but to do it in a way that's hopefully helpful for other people. She has her own podcast. And so the reason why I'm saying this is this cataclysmic event that was a quote unquote disaster on the outside Mm -hmm. for her. Like the worst thing that could have ever happened, especially for someone like her who is a people pleaser, who's a pageant girl who puts a smile on everything for her shadow to be exposed because of the way she chose to walk with it. Mm -hmm. She chose to get curious about her underlying pattern and what got her there. And in doing that, she is now returning to aspects of herself that I think got shut down, which is her voice, you know, which I think it might be interesting to explore that in terms of the, the echo archetype, because the whole point of echo is she doesn't have a voice. So it's almost like if I just sort of chart this out for Rachel for a moment, it's like, got wounded or internalized lessons or messages early on that she's not allowed to have her voice, right? Mm -hmm. Drives her actual voice underground, like puts a smile on her face, which then leads her to unconsciously act out because as we know, energy doesn't die. It just seeks, you know, shadowy cracks and crevices to leak out. Because of that, she created a situation that then blew up in her face, right? And it invited her to look at what was going on and to get clear about what brought her there, to reclaim these aspects of herself that got shut down with help and support, and in doing so, to reclaim herself Mm -hmm. and who she's meant to be. So that's her spiritual journey, right? So we find ourselves in these situations that always give us opportunity to look at, holy shit, like how did I end up here? Like what part of me is recreating this pattern over and over? So coming back to Tom, it's like when I think about this whataboutism and this part of him that is just so deeply, but like, but what did you do? Or it's not fair, Nick, you were fucking late, but now you're asking me to apologize for being late. It's like what I've always gotten off of Tom, like on a really young level is just this possibility of like, I think really feeling used and abused. I mean, look, I'm going to conjecture maybe it's mom just because that's sort of the obvious answer, but like women or a woman, some sort of women in his life for sure. 
And I want to say, like, I am sure there was a time where it actually happened. So I don't think Mm -hmm. Ariana used or abused him. You know what I mean? I think he's looking at things through that lens because of unresolved history. I do think there was a point where little boy Tom, kind of to your point, with his big open heart, his love of humanity, his spirit of wanting to drink wine with everyone and wanting to dance and entertain. And also he's- Taking the Shanas, taking the outcasts, bring them in. When James was the outcast, when Jackson, was the, it took them all in, remember? Exactly, in a non-judgmental way. Like he's got this heart, right? That's what I always liked about him. This little boy or however old he is gets used and abused, let's say by a woman or women. And then, so he's used and abused, which in and of itself is not- a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. But then when that little boy tries to say, Hey, wait a second, I don't like this. You're using and abusing me. That anger then gets also used to get Tom. What are you doing? Like, you're like, what kind of scene are you causing? Like, you're crazy. Why are you acting like this? How dare you speak to your mother that way? She's just trying to X, Y, or Z, you know? So it's this experience of not only do you get used and abused with your, again, your big open heart where you love these people, mm-hmm. but then when you have feelings about it, you're made wrong for it. And then that gets twisted against you. So as, and I feel like this is so relatable. I mean, this is quintessential gaslighting. So as Tom, it's like, oh shit. Like, not only am I using abuse, but my feelings about it get turned against me. So I'm not setting myself up for that. Like, my anger gets used. This is what I want to say. My anger gets used as information from the outside world that there's something wrong with me. And it's not that they're the problem. I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. They get to use me, and then they get to shut me down for having feelings about it. And I get made bad or wrong for it. And it's not fucking fair. That gets driven underground. And so that's why I feel like you hear him at certain points along the way say things that I think are so telling. Like, I'll never forget that fight with Katie. I don't remember what season it was, but I think it was when she and him were really going at it with like Schwartz in the middle. And he said something to her where he said, you can have all the feelings you want in the world. Like you can rage text, you can do this. But if I have any feelings, I'm a fucking psychopath. You know, and again, to me, that was very much like the Nick Vile thing about what about, what about? I was like, that moment, I'm like, that's it. That's the core wound right there. You get to have every fucking feeling you want as the woman. Mm. And if I have one, I'm a psychopath and it's not fair. So I want to sort of lay that. I mean, if I'm right about this, you know, I want to lay that sort of possible groundwork of where he's coming from. I also think that's why he got very triggered by Stassi because she's another one. Like she's, you know, a loud and proud emotional woman. You know what I mean? Like you get to do whatever the fuck you want. If I do, I'm bad and I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think with Tom sort of coming back to Ariana, it's kind of like, and maybe this is where I can get your help sort of clarifying this into simple language. It's like, there's something in Tom, you talked about a split before and the split I've always felt in Tom is really around what it means to be like the good boy and the bad boy. Mm -hmm. There's something that he drove underground, like his right to his rage, his right to say, hey, I don't like this. His right to really take a stand in a way that says, something's happening here that I don't like suppressing that voice instead being the good boy who just tries to prove himself to get the love, to get the love, to get the love, but he's betraying something in himself. And there's also a demand there, right? I'm going to be the good boy. Like I'm going to tend to you, Ariana. I'm going to make your dumpling lattes. I'm going to say all the right things, but there are things I want in return from you. Mm -hmm. And then when I don't get it, 
or I feel belittled, or I have this unconscious resentment about everything that I'm holding. Because that's the thing. I mean, I think to your point, God, this is where it gets so complicated. And again, I might need your help. It's like, if there is a part of Tom that feels like he's just supposed to be the dutiful, good little boy to get love. And there is a part of him that's kind of impatient with Ariana, let's say, impatient with her issues, or on some level feels betrayed by her, even if it's rational or not. He's going to perceive that as, this makes me a bad guy. I can't voice it. You know what I mean? I can't bring this to the surface. So again, I'm suppressing it. But then what happens is that rage accumulates, it accumulates, the resentment builds. And then it's like, and then again, I kind of feel like with him, when I sort of tap into it, it's like, and then if I leave her, Mm. she's going to be devastated. I mean, I think he believes these things. She's going to kill her. I'm the bad guy. I won't tolerate being made the bad guy because I have a weird relationship to that. Like, I won't tolerate being being made the bad guy. So I keep suppressing all this stuff. Let me go over here to this little exit plan, you know, with Rachel, Raquel, and I get to act it out. And I think to your point, I mean, I know I'm saying a ton all at once, but I do, I want to say like, I 100% believe unconsciously that affair was a fuck you. This wasn't just like, oh, I'm in love. I'm swept away. It was a fuck you. You do not dress up as Raquel for a Halloween costume in front of Ariana mm-hmm. if it's not a fuck you to your significant other. You don't get the lightning bolts and flaunt that on national TV right under Ariana's nose if it's not a fuck you to Ariana. You don't hang out with Raquel and Ariana if it's not a fuck you to Ariana. And just think about what we even saw on the show of like slapping Raquel's ass in front of Ariana on camera. These are all fuck yous. Mm -hmm. So again, this to me speaks to this question of why can't or won't take Tom take responsibility for what he's done. My feeling is this, what I'm speaking to right now is the place in him. He will not let himself know. It's the place in him that was like, you know what? This wasn't just an affair of the heart. This wasn't just me being like unhappy in my relationship. Mm-hmm. This was a fuck you to Ariana. Part of it. Part of it was a fuck you to Ariana. Part of it was cruelty. Part of it was a power grab. Part of it was my rage. Part of it felt so fucking good to stick it to her because I'm furious at her and I want to punish her. By the way, again, this isn't really about Ariana. Historically, this is about whatever women I want to punish from way back when. And I think, because even at the reunion, when they brought up the Halloween costume, he just, I mean, he didn't even have an answer. He was like, oh, that was just like a little, like, he didn't have an answer. He couldn't sit there and say, it was a vindictive, nasty thing that I did because it felt fucking good because some part of me was so fucking angry at her that I wanted to take something out on her. And mm-hmm. I have a lot to say about how we all hold that place in ourselves for ourselves because we all have that in us. We all have cruelty at times. We all have hatred at times. We all have destructive intentions at times. So this feels like a really important conversation, but I just want to say, I think that is this one of the specific pieces Tom will not let himself feel. And this truly is the last thing I'll say, because I think if he lets himself acknowledge that for Tom, it's almost like confirmation of that original message he received of, I, it means I'm a bad person. It means I'm a horrible person. 
and there's something fucked up and wrong with me. I cannot let myself know about that. And it also gives these other people a leg to stand on to point a finger at me and say, I am a bad person. And again, I'm just operating from a place of, but what about what you did? (laughs) And you didn't give me a chance to speak up about it or to have my feelings about it. And now you're trying to tell me that I'm the bad guy. You know, I mean, even just saying it as Tom, just like, fuck you, fuck you. And I feel the rage. And it's interesting because I agree with you. He won't get violent, but the rage is violent. I feel it in my hands right now. I want to fucking hit a wall right now. It's not fucking fair. So there's a few things. One is the dynamic when you describe the whole thing. It's like the way a mother holds a child accountable. When somebody is so defended against accountability, the way he is defended against accountability, everybody's always trying to hold himself accountable. He does not hold himself accountable, right? And it makes me wonder why when people are that defended against accountability, why? And John Bradshaw wrote an entire book on this. Uh, John Bradshaw actually used to work at the Meadows. This is why I know Raquel's doing good work because John Bradshaw is like one of the most incredible psychologists, therapists, authors, and he's just an addiction specialist. And And just to explain, the Meadows is where Rachel went, just so for people who don't know. Exactly. It is. Yeah. It's where she went. And so they do a lot of codependency rehabilitation there in addition to um, other forms of addiction, as far as I understand. And they're very, very reputable in an industry of very disreputable places. They actually have a good reputation. So it's a sleazy industry, but okay. So it makes me wonder though, why is he so defended against the accountability and it is a very narcissistic trait. Narcissists, one of the tells in the seven forms of narcissism is they despise accountability. And it's like, it's not overt. They say things that make it sound like they are taking accountability, but there's some level where you see they're not dropping into it and it frustrates people and it makes them angry. And they're always, so then it makes, it, what ends up happening in, in uh, the lives of these people is they're constantly finding themselves in situations where people are asking them to take accountability and that he's so defended against it, right? Like you were late, you were late to mine. It would have been so easy for him to be like, I was late. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, I don't think that, you know, they should have gone into like why and all of that. It should have just ended with a a sincere apology, but he can't, he can't make it easy on himself by being so simple to take accountability. But with that mother-son dynamic, so here's what I see with the two of them, with Tom and Ariana, is with that that dark masculine, that's that underdeveloped masculinity. He has such a capacity for development in this area. And the window is closing more every day because usually by the time you're 40, 41 years old, 35 if you're not already doing this work, if you're not already on the path to doing this work, you're probably not going to do this work, right? So with him, he that disowned, evolved masculine energy that he could be mastering, right? Which would look so good on him. I can almost see it. I can't quite see it, but I can almost see it. Is instead this dark masculine energy, which has a lot of infantile behavior in it and infantile rage, right? And infantile rage is another way to state uh, infantile power drive. And infantile power drives are, you know, underlying in a lot of addictive personalities. And almost all addictive personalities have deep core shame, meaning I'm not healthy shame, which is I'm ashamed of something I did. Deep core shame, which is I'm ashamed of who I am. And I cannot sit with that. It's too much. You're asking too much of me. So But back to him and Ariana, what I think with them is that with her, 
she needed that well-developed masculine energy to be able to bring out her feminine side. And as that continued to not happen, and she had to step more into maternal energy roles, motherly energy roles, right? So that he could be this playful, fun, wild guy, which is also kind of childish, right? And that not just because it was, oh, I'm going to go to Vegas and, and have fun with my friends. No, it sort of, that's how he was living his whole life, right? Versus let's go on a holiday and get nuts for a month or whatever. It, it comes across as this is kind of how he was living his whole life. And he did, the way he did everything felt like it was being done in this really young, childish way, right? So with her, I think that that took away her ability to sit in this feminine, wilder, more fun version of herself because she had to step more and more into that heavy motherly energy. And then she's going to resent, you're not going to want to have sex with your child, right? Because that's just like, ugh. So then it's going to, somebody has to, in a relationship, somebody has to sit in the seat of the driver's seat of the bus, which is where the masculine energy is. If you are a female and you have a naturally masculine essence, that is your place. But if you are a female and you have a naturally feminine essence and you are in a long-term relationship with a partner who cannot sit in the seat of the bus because they have an underdeveloped masculine energy and they cannot hold you, you are going to get in that seat of the bus anyway, and you're going to drive it and you're going to be pissed off. And you're going to have little angry things that leak out and degrade that person. And then that person is going to put all that degradation in a bag right? That you were joking about and they're going to serve it back to you at some point in some humiliating way, which is what he did. And it was, you know, that covert thing. Now with him and Raquel, you know, yeah, I do think that it was like a subconscious drive to find some way to get at Ariana, I wonder. That's what it, that's, that's what I think. That's what it looks like to me. And then with Raquel, of course, she was hiding under, you know, completely disowned capacity for aggression. The sweet little innocent, almost Puella. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Totally. I was thinking about that. Like they have that in common. He's a Puer and she's a Puella or she was a Puella. Yeah. And so with that, with the innocent, remember we talked about this before, Rachel, the you, the, it means the you, the, it's the sheep, right? Little sweet baby lamb. And so of course the under arc of that is the trickster, Hermes. And anytime somebody, now when we own that trickster energy, right? That's where you've got your Hollywood hustlers, your agents, your good lawyers, right? Those hustlers, that owned trickster energy can be a very powerful thing. When we are in that ingenue and that sweet, the innocent, I don't have a capacity for that. That trickster energy is your shadow. And that was her shadow. Shadow always knows. And when we don't own our shadow, our shadow will own us. And that is how that went. It goes like that every time. And shadow always knows. And so her shadow was the trickster. And that's Hermes, right? And that, that hermetic energy, anytime that trickster energy comes into the trajectory, the friend group, it's an agent of change. It is, it's Mercury. It's Quicksilver. It is the agent of change. And it comes in. And that is what that shadow, that powerful ass shadow that she had, that she brought in there, and it flipped every table in the house. Mm-hmm. And it was, and then Tom's like, I can deal with it because I've got this Dionysian energy that runs through me. And this, like, he can handle, he can handle that, that chaos. But she broke all the social agreements with that. She broke all the social agreements. Everybody is supposed to have their place. And she had her place and she didn't stay there. And that, that Quicksilver energy changed everything. And 
it initiated every single one of them. It initiated Tom, it initiated her, initiated Ariana. Where I'm seeing this season with Lala, I know we're not on Lala, an initiation of Lala and to some degree, Shayna. Yeah, there's so much I want to say. So first of all, because I mentioned before how I feel a point of connection between where sort of Tom and Rachel might be both disowning something. So again, I want to say, I really do experience Rachel as having such a deep, sincere intention of doing the work. I think she is doing the work. As I've talked about in other podcast episodes, you guys, I mean, God, I mean, like you just said, both of us, we've been doing this work on ourselves for decades. It is such an evolving, deepening journey over time. And, you know, I know there have been times in my life, my own life where years ago, people were telling me like, you've changed more than I've ever seen anyone change. And I just know, oh my God, like, you were saying that to me back then because since then, like, I feel like now I'm in a time of my life where I'm truly starting to come back to myself. But that's how many layers I had to peel back because, you know, we all, we have these layers and it's just layer upon, you know, I always sort of get amused sometimes when clients kind of think like they should be quote unquote done by now. And I'm like, I don't, think we're ever done. I mean, and I want to say it's all conscious. I mean, it's all choice. I mean, you don't have to continue to work on yourself if you don't want to. We all have free will and maybe things are working for you more or less. But, you know, you and I are people I don't think we're ever going to stop. So I just I'm saying all this to say that what I'm about to say, I want to be clear, is in no way to take away from what Rachel has already done, what she's doing, what she's cultivating. I think she's at the start of a journey that already feels so deep. And Mm -hmm. um, I have no doubt it'll just continue to deepen as she continues. Again, she's quite young still. So I just want to kind of say that as like a context for what I'm saying. But what I want to say, and it speaks exactly to what you're talking about, is I think because, you know, people have asked about Rachel's relationship to accountability and contrition. Mm -hmm. It's been it's been interesting to listen to her podcast because she does say like, I think she has been on a journey and even just from like, I mean, I don't even think it's fair to talk about how she was presenting at the end of last season at the reunion because she was still so completely great. deep in it. She hadn't started her treatment yet. But even if you just look at her interview with Bethany to her podcast, like you can tell there's a deepening to me anyways, it just feels like there's deepening levels of accountability. Mm-hmm. But what struck me, and so she'll say things like at the start of her podcast, she made this comment that I thought that's, I, this was the comment where I was like, oh, okay, she's really starting to get something where the producer asked her, do you feel that you've been betrayed? Like by your friends who, you know, abandoned you or whatnot, you know, and Rachel's response was, yeah, I think I've been betrayed, but I've also betrayed, you know? And so she was like, so I can't really, I mean, I don't know if she said this, but basically I can't really complain. When she said that, I was like, oh, I was like, there it is. Like that is someone who's not victimizing themselves. That is someone who is owning, I have been the betrayer. So I know I've been on both sides of it. But the reason why I'm saying this is even within that. So first when I was listening to the podcast, I noticed, I was like, you know, she really doesn't talk about Ariana very much, which was really interesting. She'll talk about Tom. She'll talk about James. She'll talk about Sheena. She doesn't talk a lot about Ariana. I was really clocking that. The absence felt loud to me. And then as the podcast has gone on, she has talked a bit more about Ariana, but I will notice like she'll say things like, I have to take accountability for that. Or this was like, I did this and it was destructive. But I noticed that it's like when she talks about it, I'm like, I don't quite feel it. You know, and I'm not saying, and I want to be clear, like 
I'm not even putting a demand on her. And, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Tom, where it's like, you have to be deep in your feelings on this podcast. And I want to say <laughs> there might be extenuate, like, you know, again, she comes from the pageant world. There's a certain poise that I think that she's used to having. She's even talked about kind of her relationship to cognition and how she processes things. So I want to say there might be multiple things at play, but I want to say, because I got questions about this, about some people saying, I still don't feel her here in terms of really taking responsibility for what she did. I'm going to add to Ariana, <laughs> you know, who's the real victim in all of this. Yeah. And so I was really sitting with that about like my own sense of, is there something she's pushing away? I will say she does seem right now very much on the track of, okay, Tom was very seductive. He was very manipulative. I bought into the fantasy. This is why I bought into the fantasy. But there's a way where I still kind of feel her as, I mean, I guess in some ways, I don't think by and large she's victimizing herself, but there is still a way that she kind of, that she kind of positions herself a little bit as like a victim of Tom's machinations. And what I think the piece that feels missing for me thus far is the piece that says, you know what? Yeah, like there were these conditions. I was impressionable. Yes, Tom is absolutely manipulative. He's deceptive, all these things. And, and part of me fucking loved it. Yeah. And I loved sneaking around just under Ariana's nose. I loved wearing the lightning bolt necklaces. I, it like, cause she talked about that scene last season where she was asking Ariana about their sex life and whether she was attracted to Tom. And when she talked about it, she, you know, the way she presented it on her podcast was kind of like, you know, I, you know, Tom was telling me these things about how they don't have sex and he didn't feel that she actually desired him. So I genuinely wanted to know, is this true? Like she kind of presented it almost as like fact checking, you know, did this really, is Tom telling me the truth? Now I'm not saying that wasn't a part of it, but I watched that scene and I felt her energy. And I also saw the way she treated Katie's mother in that scene. And I felt her investment. You know, it felt like there was like a real collusion between her and Tom around the secrets they shared, her having knowledge. I think her really wanting to please Tom. But again, I mean, you can't see me at home. When I say please Tom, I'm not saying from like a victim-y good girl kind of place. I'm saying from like a, we're two chicksters colluding on something and this feels dark and dirty and powerful and part of me fucking loves it. And I just feel the potential of her pulling away from the part of herself that may have fucking loved this. The destructive intention, the negative intention. I feel like the amount of work she's done and the time she's done it has is a lot. And out of the whole cast, she's the only one who's really done that kind of work. So it's, I want to give credit there. Also, like you said, what she's done, it's really it did hurt. It hurt somebody, humiliated somebody. It shocked somebody. It, you know, probably has scarred somebody, you know, probably scarred Ariana to some degree. She'll be fine. She'll get over it. But I'm just saying, but I think that we're to be at the point where you are willing to look at your dark side in the eye. Right now, the way they have started with her is the psychological stuff. Look your dysfunction in the eye. Look your dysfunction. That's all psychological, psychology, your projections and your all your little, your ego persona, self-shadow, you know, all that. But when we get into, so you got to get good at that, right? Once you're better at that, my experience has been that then you can get into the underworld. 
Yeah, it's like she's not even, I mean, that's the thing I want to say. She shouldn't, in a way, be at that point yet. Like, it's it's asking way too much of her, especially, again, given her background, pageant girl, smile on my face. And again, the whole world fucking hating her for a year. It's like, for Rachel to come out now and be like, yeah, there was a destructive part of me that liked sticking it to Ariana and having a sense of power. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong when I say it like that. I think it's a powerful thing to really own, but I can understand for her, like, she's just... I can feel for her what a fucking risk it is just to have a podcast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let alone take responsibility for that level of co-creation. Yeah. I just want to say, like, again, just to kind of even model what this looks like. Like, I want to say, like, there was a time in my life, and I'm going to be very general about this because it involves other people. But, you know, like, I went through an experience when I was much younger where there was someone who was in a position of power who abused their power 100%. And it was, like, mm-hmm. unprofessional <laughs> It was, I mean, I went through something and it actually had a major impact on mm-hmm. me. There was a real wounding there. And it's funny because I think about that experience all the, not all the time, but, you know, I think about that experience sometimes. And to me, it's like, I could tell you that story in a way where I am totally the victim. They are totally the perpetrator. And by the way, it is true. Like they, you know, when we talk about, you said something on the last episode you were on that I loved. When we talk about co-creation, I think sometimes like co-creating circumstances or events, I think sometimes there's an assumption that that means it's a 50-50 co-creation. And that's not always what it is. Sometimes it's like Scandaval, like 90% Tom, 10% Ariana in the sense of, again, like Ariana didn't do anything destructive and deceptive and like vindictive in the way that Tom did. That's why I say she is the victim in this situation. She just has responsibility in terms of, you know, as we explored last time, where was she lying to herself? What were the red flags she was ignoring? Like, that's her 10%. But it's like, even though we're talking about co-creation, we're not saying they're both equally to blame for this, right? So coming back to myself, it's like, I could paint this as, woe is me. I was the innocent victim. They were the perpetrator. How dare they? But the truth is, because I've done my inner work, I know, like, I can look at that situation. I understand I had peers in my life who were in relationship with that same person who didn't get sucked into a particular orbit, who didn't get power abused, however you want to link, who weren't, like, in a situation where power was sort of used and abused against them, Mm -hmm. they were able to walk with that same person in a boundaried, energetic, clean and clear way. I didn't. And the truth is when I look back on that situation, even though I was young, even though I was acting unconsciously, the truth is when I get really clear with myself, there were aspects of that relationship I fucking loved that involved me talking shit about my peers, us colluding, I was special. I loved being special. I was getting emotional needs met through that, that I know that person had no business satisfying those emotional needs that that wasn't them. And that's where that's where my 15% of the co-creation was. So I'm sort of sitting here because again, I want to go back to like the Tom of it all of that notion of this possible fear in Tom. If I let myself know the part of me that had this driving rage and fury to stick it to Ariana, that means I'm this horrible person and I should go throw myself off a ledge. I want, and obviously my situation isn't as extreme as that, but I want to say, I just kind of want to model a situation where I can look at it and say, yeah, something happened. Something happened here. There was an abuse of power. Lines were crossed. It was ultimately on them to take responsibility for the situation and, and, there was something I got out of it. I was shitty too. 
I betrayed in minor ways, like people in my life. And I liked it. And then, you know, again, I want to say the reason why I'm able to say this without shame and the reason why I can say this with compassion for my younger self is I got clear on, and this is what Rachel is doing right now. I got clear on Mm. where did that come from inside me? Mm -hmm. Why was I turning to this colluding kind of toxic relationship and talking shit about other people and wanting to feel special and enjoying it. Like, where did that come from in me? You know, and I've done that work, but I'm just sort of saying all this because again, we all have this in us. (laughs) We all have cruelty. We all have places where we're like sticking it to someone. We all have places where we want to hurt people sometimes. And, but the key is, and that we enjoy it. Like, that's the part I want to speak to that. It's not just, and this is why I can't with Tom at this point of just like, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of stuff. I mean, maybe he really has had suicidal thoughts. And if he has, like, obviously that's not good. But he's so, I agree with Ariana in this last episode. He knows, he knows how to position himself as a victim. And what he skips over, and I think what people sense, and I think this is part of what infuriates them, is he skips over that negative pleasure. That part of him that is not a victim. That part of him that is like, I'm doing this and I fucking love it. And I think Mm -hmm. even though you didn't say this out loud to your point, and this is where alchemy actually happens, that energy, that negative pleasure right now, it's being used destructively. Mm -hmm. But if he can tap into that with consciousness, that same energy can be used so constructively. That's where he goes from being the dark evil magician to being like the higher self magician. And I guess this is the last thing I'll say just to bring this back to what you had been saying about Rachel. I just love what you brought in about like the disowned trickster and how she ended up flipping over the tables because that's what I'm talking Like I get so excited because I agree with you. There is a trickster in Rachel and that's how I strongly suspect that there was more to meets the eye with this affair, that she wasn't just this innocent, you know, to use the language of the last episode, she wasn't just an innocent little lamb, you know what I mean? Being led to the slaughter. Like there was something powerful in her Mm -hmm. that was trying to get out through this negative pleasure. And we're seeing aspects of it now in her decision to walk away from the show, in her decision to stay in the meadows for three months, in her decision to cut off Tom, in her decision to have this podcast. And listening to it, I want to say she is, I mean, it excites me and thrills me what she's doing Mm -hmm. because I feel like we are getting our first examples of someone who actually fucking walks away of someone who's from reality TV. That is someone who's willing to say, I'm prioritizing my mental health over this. And again, I'm willing to do the work to learn more and to put this out there. And Mm -hmm. the last thing I want to say about all this, because you talked about flipping the tables, right? And I know you were speaking to this and I want to really just sort of say it really clearly. It is not lost on me that even if it is for the benefit of TV and having to film the show, what are we getting in the season right now? We are getting a season that so far is announcing itself essentially about nuance. It's a season about, okay, Tom did this thing. We're in this group that is used to like binary thinking of you're in, you're out, you're good, you're bad, we'll rage against you if you're bad. We all have to film together now. And so now we're all kind of navigating this possible middle ground of what do we do here? And we see the different cast members Mm -hmm. navigating. So whether it's a TV construct or not, I personally think it's inviting them into a very real conversation inside themselves. And I have to say, I truly believe energetically, there's something about what Rachel has done 
in her choices. Cause I think you even said, was it you who just said this or was it on her podcast? I am seeing her as an agent of change. It's Hermes. Hermes is the agent of change. So when someone shows up with that shadow trickster energy, when someone shows up as the innocent, watch them. They have that disowned trickster. And that Hermes is the agent of change. He was, they used to have at, in ancient times at the crossroads, they would have little altars for Hermes at the crossroads. And you would leave food and drink for the, because Hermes represented something. There's divergent paths here. Well, and so that's what, yeah. So just to finish this off, like I want to say, I feel like Rachel is disrupting something energetically. And yeah, just to kind of, again, to conclude and to really explicitly name, I think the point you were making, we are seeing like this to me is part of the higher self version of that trickster in her. She wasn't owning this part of herself before, before she was being echo. She was being the lamb. And so Mm -hmm. the trickster energy, like you said, it was shadow. It was disowned. It went underground, but it has to live somewhere. So it went into this fucking affair. And so that's where I'm saying, I do think there was a part of her that loved this because it was powerful energy in her that was dying to be seen, heard, and expressed that didn't want to play the sidekick anymore. Now, I actually have thoughts specifically about Raquel's orientation towards Ariana specifically related to this, but I'm going to bookmark it because I want to give you a chance to respond to all this. Oh yeah. I mean, everything that you said, like we're just in agreements, but I will say one of the things I hope that we can uh, give people on a visual level is when, you know, with Rachel, you're asking her to go from this little you, this little baby lamb and to own her wolf energy, not to say, you know, the wolf came for me. There's no power in that. And there's no power in the victim posture. And we live in a society that from a very young age teaches you to aspire for, reach toward victim posture. It is the least powerful point in any given paradigm when anyone is trying to sell you on how victimized you are and how disempowered you are. They are selling you a bag of goods and you will get a payoff from it. And it is a cheap little payoff. You will not go into transformation. You will not grow and you will not change. You won't, you will just sit in your little cheap payoffs. And so with her attempting to go toward, right, the deep work, that's what she's doing. She's walking toward the deep work. I love that the podcast isn't where it's going to be because people will get to listen to her get there. This is a very, this is a big deal. You know what I mean? Usually people only give you the cake when it's baked and frosted and the candles are on it, right? This is, this is an undressed cake. It's a little soft in the middle still, perhaps. It's not even ready for anything. You're getting to see, but you're seeing what it's going to be. And so in that victim paradigm, when you, even if you are, if it's 99% the other person, if it is 99%, I grew up in a household where there was a ton of child abuse going on. Social services were at my house. Social services were at my school. I was in court-ordered psychiatry from the age of three. When I came into the deeper work, when I was in my 20s, where I was eventually led. Now, when I look back at my story, I feel a tremendous sense of empowerment. I never say I'm a survivor. I never say I'm a victim of child abuse. I I survived. I don't because I don't feel that way. And I don't have any defense against the pathology of those words either. They are neutral words to me. I just, they don't hit for me. So if it's 99% one person, if it's 99% Tom, and it's only 1% Ariana's fault, if Ariana wants to change and grow from this, it would be to take 100% responsibility for your 1%. And at the beginning, of course, you're going to say, yes, but and if he hadn't done this, that, and the other, 
but I take responsibility for my 1%. You're going to still go in that dance. That's normal, the ping pong of it all. You will eventually hit this point where I can't believe I wasn't going to make the change in the relationship. And I co-created a situation with Tom where I made him do all the dirty work because I wouldn't do it. And I didn't want my fingerprints on it. Now that is empowerment. There are no other people. There is only me. Everybody is holding an energy that I will not. And that is where, that is what the deep work looks like. Well, and I'll take it even lower. I mean, this is kind of Let's go. reiterating what I said, but I like bringing it into the specific context because like, let's just look at Ariana for a second. If we look at her, her 1%, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was feeling as I was listening to you talk earlier is going back to what I was saying about how she, getting this possible intuition that she stayed in the relationship much longer than um, she was supposed to. And I was kind of suddenly feeling, I was like, oh, if I follow that thread and if I trust it, like there's almost a way in which she used Tom. Like she let Tom be her human equivalent of her bedroom now with all the messy clothes where she's in this sort of like energetic swamp and abyss or like the codependent relation. She let on a certain level, guys, I'm talking Mm -hmm. unconsciously, let this guy drain her Mm-hmm. as a convenient way on the unconscious level to have a reason and excuse to stay out of the integrated direct flow of her power. Now, so I'm saying that as like a possible version of like what you just said about taking 100% responsibility for one, her 1%. But now to take it to an even deeper level of bringing in what I was talking about with the negative pleasure, not just taking responsibility for the part of me that may have had an unconscious investment in this relationship because there's this payoff of I get to disown my power and have, you know, I get to blame Tom for it. The part of me that fucking loves it. Like, Tom, you hold the bag for me. Actually, what I'm sort of hearing in this moment, if I follow it, is I'm so fucking powerful that I'm going to disown my power. I'm going to put it on you and you're never going to fucking know it. Like, that's how power, and it feels so good. And I think for me in my own work, you know, because again, you know, I've been working on myself for a long time. The negative pleasure like that to me is the ultimate self-responsibility. And it can apply to anything. I mean, it's like literally, I mean, there was a long time in my life where I (laughs) was deep, like, you know, I had a whole financial journey where, you know, I was just sort of in this very conflictive relationship with money and scarcity. And again, it's the kind of thing on the conscious level. It's like, oh, like I'm so scared and my life is so small and I'm so deprived, but it's like you dig deep enough underneath that. It's like I part of me fucking loves this because I get to keep punishing these people over here Mm -hmm. and I get, yeah, like I'm saying with Ariana, I have a reason to like disown all my power. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's something when we keep digging underneath these unconscious investments, there's almost always a part of us that is just loving it. And when you can feel that pleasure and power, it's the ultimate in self-responsibility. It's the alt, and that's why we want to go towards it because I always say the quickest path to our higher selves is through the lower self. Because I think there's no higher self act than the willingness to say, yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That was my cruelty. That was my in- negative intention. And it felt so good. And when you're willing to take that responsibility, I don't know, it's like all of humanity kind of opens up to you. And that's the place where you suddenly can come forward and say, yeah, you know what? I did this. This was my humanity. And by the way, depending on the severity of your actions, yes, there might be prices to pay. So 
I'm not saying that Rachel should come forward and say, I fucking love sticking it to Ariana. <laughs> I don't care. Actually, it's the opposite. Usually when you actually touch those places, there's information there for you. But then that's the moment because mm-hmm. you are dialed into your own humanity and where that comes mm-hmm. from. You are suddenly a three-dimensional human being as opposed to a cartoon villain. Mm-hmm. And that's the place where I think it's like, again, depending on the severity of what you've done. So if I'm in Rachel's shoes and I've done something like blown up someone's relationship and humiliated and betrayed someone, okay, that's where it's like, oh shit, I did this, you know, and I see what I did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I follow this energy, I am so fucking sorry for what I did. Like, I get it. I was acting unconsciously. I was acting out of my negative intention and I did something here. And I can hold space for the impact it had on them. Hmm. I can hold space from where it came from within me and hold all of it all at once. And then, like I said, if it's something that's been really destructive, you know, and in this case, this is what's happening, right? Ariana gets to have her boundaries and say, I will never forgive you. She gets to say, you're out of my life. And I, as the perpetrator in this instance, that's the price I pay. Right. So there's no guarantee. People, all of us have our agency and our free will. I can feel my contrition. I can feel my remorse. I may have a price to pay. I can also hold myself with compassion. It's like I get to do all of it, but I think it's just when we're keeping the negative intention at an arm's length, Mm -hmm. that's where we get stuck, I think. And I think that's part of a little bit of the little block that people are feeling with Rachel and the huge block that people are feeling with Tom. And I think with Rachel, I think that she will get there eventually. I think that there is a lot of fear. I feel when I feel into her and in, in in respect to this one thing, there's trembling. Yeah. I feel a tremble, like an actual a, a physical tremble, a spiritual tremble, trembling emotions, there's just trembling. I'm trembling. If and I think that that's a lot with Tom. Tom does not seem to have the desire to go into any version of depth here. He seems, I feel like he's fine where he's at. Like, I'm not saying I think he's fine. I think that he feels fine where he's at. It, I don't know that he, not everybody needs to do this work. Not everybody needs to grow. Not everybody needs to go to therapy. Not everybody needs to be rehabilitated. Not everybody needs to see what's there, sit with their dreams, journal, meditate, pray. Not everybody needs to do that. Some people just want to party and eat. Well, let's circle back around to that because I do think there's sort of an interesting question here of like, yeah, what would it mean for Tom to actually consciously touch these parts of himself and, you know, to perhaps learn and integrate? But I want to say I really agree with you about Rachel and her fear. And actually, because, you know, some people did ask me about just her relationship to her own podcast and like Mm -hmm. her motives and her decision to do this. And is it coming from a place of, for example, wanting to help and do something constructive, or is it coming from a place of wanting to continue to be in the spotlight? And it was interesting because when I dropped into Rachel around the podcast, I want to say I felt what you're talking about. Like I felt the fear Mm -hmm. for sure. To me, what it really felt like was I felt, it's funny, I was going to say the conflicting drives, but they actually don't feel conflicting to me. For some reason, they feel complimentary. Maybe I'll have more to say about that in a moment, but there's these two drives. One, 
the drive to get her voice out. I think to what we're saying, there's a powerful table flipper in Rachel who wants to be an agent of change. And I can feel the impulse of, I want to get my story out. I mean, literally in this case, like there are lies being told about me. I want to get my story out, but also I want to use my voice and I want to use my voice for good. Again, this is sort of the inversion of the pageant girl. It's like, Mm -hmm. I want to be up there. I want to say something. I want to make an impact, but like in a real way. Right. But then I also felt for her how dangerous this feels. Like mm-hmm. it, it, what it feels to me, and I think this sort of speaks to our larger point, like it feels like she, she's already unpacked, I think more than she could have ever imagined unpacking. And I can feel this part of her though that's like, if I keep going with this, how much more am I going to unpack? And, you know, I want to say, because we've, you know, I've talked about this on other episodes, you know, we've seen hits and clues about, possible things like in her upbringing and with her parents. Oh, and the thing that she revealed on the podcast that really jumped out at me that I was like, I didn't even know about this layer was she talked about having a sister who had behavioral issues, who got a lot of attention. And I will tell you, I mean, I won't go too far into a digression about this. I have worked with a number of people who've had this dynamic in their family where there's a sibling who has behavioral issues, who's like the focus of a lot of attention when I tell you this, I mean, this is often an overused word, but I'm going to use it like this traumatizes people in ways that I don't, I, I can't tell you the number of clients I've worked with who the work has been about coming to understand the deep impact this has had where there's one sibling who is sort of like, let's just say, for lack of a better term, the bad seed gets all the attention. They're the problem child. They're the agent of chaos in the family. Mm -hmm. then like the Rachel in the family becomes the good one. And there's so much embedded in that around. I'm not allowed to have needs. I'm not allowed to need help because my parents have my hands full. And that a lot of times what happens with the parents, because their hands are full unconsciously, unintentionally, there is this attitude of like, you're the good, like, we don't like, don't, demand our attention. Like we need you to be good on your own. Cause like, we're so busy and focused over here and that the Rachel and the family can really take that on. And never mind. This is what I'm saying. Rachel's so layered already given up by her biological mother. You know what I mean? Adopted into her fam in this family. Then there's a sister with behavioral issues. Mm. She's the good one. She's the one who can't have needs or cause trouble or make. And again, Speaking to our point, what we're learning about her, she's got this powerful table flipping energy and she learned so early on, I've got to keep this all under wraps, right? So my original point was like, we've gotten clues about her upbringing and what may have impacted her. And so it's interesting though, but I want to say like, it's interesting to listen to her podcast because, you know, and this is the nuance of it all, right? Obviously her parents are clearly supportive of her to the extent of like, they got her into the meadows, they extended her stay. I mean, you know, if we trust and believe, which I think I do, her whole story about Graham, like they were trying to figure things out with Graham. So regardless, regardless of whatever happened in her childhood, regardless of whatever unhealthy patterns there might be, I just want to name and acknowledge there's also clearly love and support there as well. But the reason why I'm saying all this is, yeah, like I have gotten the sense that, there's probably a lot that Rachel's felt like she can't speak to in the family dynamic. And I think that's part of the fear I feel in her of like, if I keep going with this, yeah. How many tables am I going to flip? How much Mm -hmm. is going to be named? How deep and far does this go? So I can, I, I feel that fear 
in her too, but I also feel the drive in her that's like, I'm going to keep going. Like there's something in her that wants to keep going. Regarding the trickster energy, the t- which is in her, what manifested as that agent of change, th- that's what Hermes does, right? It's the agent of change and then it it disappears. It doesn't return anymore. And then it's interesting that she didn't go back into the cast. So it really is very, very Hermes. But what I was going to say is with her, with Rachel... This was her shadow. This was the disowned aspect of self, right? The more we confront shadow and sit with shadow, the less power it has over us. We metabolize that poison. And it. we then come into a, a different relationship to responsibility and self-empowerment. So she's no longer going to be that you energy isn't going to be that baby lamb energy is not going to be as intense. This shadow will not be as intense. The more she sits in the tension of opposites of these parts of her. The more she sits in it, she is going to then, instead of it pulling her arms apart, she's going to notice one day that she's the one gripping on to the ropes. And she's going to learn to dance like that. And it's going to look really good on her eventually. Yeah, I just feel like it can't be said enough. I feel like what we're watching her emerge into in terms of having her own voice and like this podcast and getting her story out there, Yeah, this is the inversion of the part of her that was having this affair. This was the powerful energy that was trying. That's why when I work with clients, it's like, I always support people to go towards, you know, what we call the lower self, the destructive energy, because it's powerful energy and it holds something for you. What we resist persists. When you go towards that with consciousness and learn about it and understand it and claim it and let it run through you, that is when it can be redirected towards constructive use because truly energy you, energy doesn't die you can only transmute it so you can either resist it and then like you're saying it becomes shadow and then shadow catches up with you and then scandal happens and then if you're tom sandoval you double down and then you go crazy you know so it's just like this is the gig folks i mean in a way it's such a relief we can't outrun ourselves and also we don't need to because our lower selves are just aspects of our humanity and there's always vulnerability underneath it deep down mm-hmm. always you're the most shameful the parts of you that you are most ashamed of i guarantee you there is deep vulnerability underneath it there is something that is trying to be expressed through you and again it doesn't mean you disown accountability for whatever destructive actives you're taking it's the opposite your willingness to go towards it is taking responsibility for it and you don't want to spiritually bypass just because like some people Jamie these days i notice a lot of people will immediately go to the lesson. It's either a lesson or a blessing. It's either a lesson or a blessing. And they skip the icky part, sitting in it, the scarlet letter, the walk of shame through town on Game of Thrones. Remember, shame, 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 whatever that is. So, but when we are actually working toward, like coming, when we come into adulthood, we we do so by going to battle with ourselves, right? And you're going to be sitting with these parts And you don't want to spiritually bypass that by going right into, well, you know, this was what I learned from it. And isn't that great? And then you just go over that walk into the underworld. Mm -hmm. That six months uh, that Persephone does every year in the underworld. 
before coming back up out of Hades. And I, again, just, uh, I mean, at the risk of repeating myself, I think there's the ick of it and the walk of shame, but then at the heart of the labyrinth is the negative pleasure. Yeah. You know, the part of, yeah, the part of me that loved this, that got something out of it, that like designed this whole fucking thing so that I could like find myself again. You know, I mean, that's just there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so what I wanted to bring into all this, because I, again, I, I was so drawn to this, like in my sense and feeling and perception of this kind of like energetic absence of Ariana from kind of like Rachel's sort of field or consciousness. So it was interesting. So I kind of, and I kept, so I dropped into Rachel towards Ariana and I was like, what do I sort of pick up on here? And it was so interesting because I want to say like, actually what I sort of felt was a burst of rage and like part of me that just wanted to like rail against you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Well, no, first I didn't want to look at her actually, if I'm really sort of going through the paces first, it was like, I don't even want to look, I don't want to take you in. But then I sort of, you know, so to me that kind of felt congruent with this like, energetic absence I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to coax you to look at Ariana. And then I felt this sort of rage swell up in this sort of like, almost sort of like violent energy that just wanted to pummel her. And I was like, what, like, what is the quality of this rage? It, it's so interesting. So I'm going to say two things here. Okay. What I felt first was like the part of Rachel that has seen Ariana as disempowered in some way. And maybe we can get into this because I mean, this is a little bit of a digression related, my experience of Ariana so far in the season, it's like, I don't feel her at all. I don't feel her at all. It's like, and I want to be clear, Ariana has a right to her righteous rage for sure. What I'm getting off her this season is not actually her righteous rage. It feels like a, uh, I mean, it was, she was like this at the reunion too, when she's talking about the cheese grater. It feels like a posture. It feels like a, like a fake rage to me that somehow covers maybe the real rage, but it's it's her posture this season. And I just want to say, I feel every fucking one else on this show, but her. She feels like this, it's like, I don't know, there's like a blank space where Ariana, and she's like a lead in the play. So I just want to say that because I'm, ex- as Rachel, I'm experiencing her kind of the same way as like, an experience of like somehow some sort of experience of, dis- like she feels disempowered to me. Like I'm sort of seeing her like, almost like not poking fun of her like depression issues, but like laying kind of like again in her room with the clothes all around her in bed, like eating bonbons, nursing her wounds, like just something that feels very disempowered is how I'll say it. It's not, it's not quite the right language. It's almost like an inversion of power. Like there's like, she's sinking into a swamp or something. And as Rachel, when I see it, it really, so the first thing that comes to me is this feeling of like, I'm seeing a reflection of my own disempowerment. Like I'm seeing a reflection of the way I kind of roll over and play dead energetically. Mm -hmm. And I hate it. Like, I just get this feeling there's some, it's like, you're the disempowered one, not me. You're the one who's getting played, not me. Like you're the one who's sort of like on the losing end, not me. Like, not me. Like, I just, I know I'm not being fully clear because it's not fully formed in me. You are. But there's something... It's like the way it lands with me is Ariana's externalizing something in myself that I don't. Again, if we speak to the trickster, the disowned trickster, the disowned trickster is saying, I don't like what you reflect in me. And I'm like the part of me that wants to pummel this in me. I'm pummeling it Mm -hmm. out in you. And I'm getting this sort of disowned sense of power by like truly disowning in you what I also see in me. So that was sort of the first thing, right? That I kind of hit and I was like, that I felt. And I was like, that's interesting. But then the second thing, so I was like, okay, well, let's just sort of stay with that for a second. And I was like, but what would it mean for Rachel 
to sit across the energy of Ariana and to take in the impact I had on you and where it's taking you. And again, I mean, even saying it, my body tenses and I, if I trust this information, I can feel this part of Rachel. It's like, I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to coax you to do it though. And what I felt as Rachel, it's so connected to what I just said, actually. What I felt as Rachel was, if I take in the impact I've had on you, I am going to have to feel essentially the impact of my energy on someone else, which means I have to take responsibility for my power. I have to take responsibility for my powerful energy. Mm-hmm. I have to take responsibility for how powerful I actually am. And by the way, just to clarify, because I know sometimes when we say power and powerful, people immediately assume that's like a positive value. I'm not saying her acting out against Ariana was powerful in a quote unquote good way. I'm saying to me, there's, look, Hitler was powerful. You know what I mean? He was a powerful guy. He created a whole genocide. It wasn't positive. He used it destructively. There can be constructive use of powerful energy. There can be destructive use of powerful energy. Rachel did a destructive use of her powerful energy last year. Now she's using it constructively. But what I'm feeling as her, it's if I take in the impact I had on Ariana, I have to take responsibility for the depth of my powerful energy. And to our point, mm-hmm. there's something, in, I'm mm-hmm. so scared of doing that. I mean, I'm even feeling, I'm scared of where this is going to take me. It feels like a train that's like going to like go off the tracks. And I, the last thing I'll say about this, it's so interesting because I, several years ago, much before Scannaball, I was going to do a video dropping in from Raquel towards James. And the first thing I got off it was, and this is so interesting. He scared, like he scares me. His energy scares me, which is interesting now because now we're hearing so much more about his possible abusive energy. But then I stayed with it. And what I got even back then was, oh, again, talking about unconscious payoff, co-creation. I'm with him because his powerful energy takes up the whole room and it gives me a very convenient excuse to not be in my own powerful energy. So I think, yeah, well, the last thing I'll say is I think there's something for Rachel, yeah, truly about what it means to step into and to own her powerful energy all the way. I think that's part of why she's keeping Ariana at an arm's length. And I think that's part of the fear that we're feeling in her of like, yeah, I'm dipping my toes in the water, but this is fucking scary for me. Okay, so before I forget it, I don't want it to go away. What you just said about Rachel and James... And then what you had said earlier about she's got something going on with looking at Ariana and there's something there. Here's how I experience it. You, in your enter, in your relationship with Tom, you, Ariana, in your relationship with Tom, you get to shrink and stay small and hide, not develop yourself, not stretch and not reach for a bigger version of you. Because he is there and he'll take up all that sunshine. And he's so much work to be a partner to. How could you possibly have any energy left over to create something within yourself for yourself? And I think that when she looked at their relationship, I wonder if there was an intuitiveness of like anger at herself for being that person with James. Who she was to James is who Ariana was to Tom, but on an exaggerated scale, on a bigger level, because Tom being that big, narcissistic, Dionysian, loud, colorful, fun, noisy personality. 
taking up all that attention. And then Ariana got to just, I just get to like sit here and, you know, go with him and, you know, be the girlfriend with the fun. I'll video you when you're performing. And now that he's gone, what are we seeing? Energetic block removed. I get to develop me. You got to bury your lack of action under that body. Mm -hmm. You got to bury that under Tom. You know, you got to come out like, so to speak, a victim, so to speak, in that capacity, because now you get to step into all this stuff that was there for you, waiting for you, because you didn't want to put in that effort during the relationship to come after your life, the way you were supposed to. You were in a holding pattern, a stagnant energy. Her energy was so stagnant when she was with Tom, so stagnant. I believe that is where, I wonder if that's where, is that where some of that depression came from? And Brew used to say, depression is anger turned inward. Yeah, uh, Brew is a psycho-spiritual teacher just for people at home. Yeah, he's no longer, he's passed away, but exactly, sorry. No, it's just interesting because honestly that, you know, in working with people, as you know, I'm always I'm always navigating people's underlying energy. So yeah, I will always, like pretty much 100% of the time, although I'm, I want to be clear, I'm always open to new possibilities and I never prescribe anything according to like an established model. But yeah, I would say so far, 100% of the time, when we explore depression and anxiety, well, often it is rage, but definitely it's powerful energy that wants to move through someone that is being turned inward. So it's like, when you think of the word depressed, right? It's like, we think of that as like a, an emotional condition of like, you know, sadness or, you know, feeling low. But if you think about the other meaning of it, like literally a depression, it's like something's getting tamped down. It's like energy that's being pushed down. I find that a lot with anxiety too. Like when people are anxious, it's like, because there's furious energy in you or excited, there's powerful energy in you that want that's circulating inside you. That's not moving outward. So it's another great example too, of the switch from, and I want to be clear when I say this, I'm not saying this in like um, a critical way of people who are experiencing depression or anxiety. God knows I've had my own relationship to anxiety, but there is a way when we're depressed or we're anxious, we can feel more like victims, right? Because it's more of a victimized posture. Like we feel scared, Mm -hmm. we feel anxious, we feel sad. And so that's such a prime example of when I'm able to support people to really find the energy that's underneath it. And it's actually, again, expressive, empowered, definitive energy that has something to say. Which describes her now. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, when she's getting to do these creative endeavors, that's what she's getting. She's getting to have an expression of herself, an outlet for herself. I agree with you on the show. She's not showing her cards. And we're leaning, I see her leaning into the posture we ended on last season. I completely agree. She has every reason, right, and ritual to be so pissed off with Tom and Rachel and the humiliation and the lies and the deceit and all of it. And then to have to live at the house when the letters are coming, like, oh my God, I would just like, oh my God, I don't know how she, thank God there are laws because probably the only thing that stopped her from doing certain things is that they were against the law. And I think that's not, that's, that's where you want to experience all of that because you don't want to spiritually bypass. I do hope that she ends up looking at some of the things, some parts of herself here so that she doesn't recreate this situation for herself in a future relationship. 
This is what, I mean, you know, this is where I get concerned for her because, you know, and I think this is also another point of connection between her and Tom. It's like, they, I think they both have this real codependent streak and they're both in new relationships already. And again, I just look at that bedroom. And, and the thing is, when I talk about her posture of indignant anger, I, none of this, I mean, I hope this is clear. None of this is about Tom. I don't give a shit for Tom's sake. I'm speaking for her sake. I don't think it benefits her to be in a posture of a puffed up chest where she's sort of playing at an emotional attitude that to me, mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't feel like her deepest truth. And I think when I look at the through line of someone who did on an unconscious level, allow herself to stay stuck in a relationship that wasn't serving her, compromise herself for the sake of it. Now they've broken up. They're like stuck in the house together. And within that house, she's in this like messy swamp of a room. And then she's already mm-hmm. in a relationship with someone else. And on the show, she's puffing up her chest. I, I just, I'm like, the part of me that's rooting for her, like I want her to go on a Rachel style journey, you know, where she gets help and support to understand what these last nine years were mm-hmm. and why she was there and why she tolerated it. That is what I want for her. I want for her to feel her feelings. Mm-hmm. And I want for her to go towards the power that it feels like to me she has been disowning since the time that we've seen her. since so, you know, again, if I'm right about her staying in this relationship too long, like, I mean, that's the thing. There are through lines here, regardless of what Tom did to her, which Tom did something horrible to her. There are still through lines here. There are through lines of her, like kind of like stubborn conviction. There are through lines of, yes, yeah, staying stuck in something. And it's just like, I just, I want her to seize this opportunity to look at her own deeper patterns and what she's creating in her life. Yeah, you know, one of my teachers, I have a very long relationship with betrayal, with betrayal people, you know, betraying me from a young age and on and on. And so I understand I was in a nine-year relationship where I was betrayed. You know what I mean? I put myself on the line. So I know how she feels. Big time. You know what I mean? No, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> laws were so, broken. Laws were broken. So anybody that's listening and thinks that like, you know, people are talking about something they haven't been through. Oh, I've walked the mile. And I walked the mile with no support. I didn't get a TV show after it. You know what I mean? But what I did get, I said, there's no way. I am going to walk over hot coals and not come out with something? No. I know that God has a plan for me. The universe has a plan for me. I refused to believe that I went through this to come out a victim and bitter. Oh, no, no. I knew that was not the case. So I dug deep. And so with the teacher, my teacher had said to me at the time, refused, absolutely refused. It would let me go through my feelings. And then we would always get in right into where, where did you betray yourself here? And that was true. And I had to sit there and look at that. And it was very, very empowering for me. But the thing, Jamie, what you're asking here is for Ariana to come into, you know, that, that feeling that we get when you get near her energy is like a rumble, like that underneath the surface, that, that like dense rumble energy, that is her power to ask her to come into that is asking her to take risks with herself is asking her to make herself vulnerable. Of all the cast members, she shows her neck the least. I'm old enough to remember a storyline about, I don't like my vagina because she was so willing. She was more willing to talk about the vagina than something that was actually really, really going on with her that was truly exposing and truly vulnerable. Right. Well, we talked about this last time. I mean, there's a way in which there, or maybe this was another episode, but yeah, no, there's a way in which she and Tom were both control freaks. They were writing different narratives, but they were both writing narratives. 
again, Tom's narrative led him to a much more, I mean, I talked about this on the episode, but it's like Ariana's narrative was in service of them as a united front and as loyal to mm-hmm. her perception or definition of loyalty as a couple. Tom's narrative ultimately was more about himself, you know, and then Tom's narrative led him to, again, destructive actions, dishonesty and betrayal. But again, what I think they have in common, they both have a deep relationship to control. They both have a deep relationship to codependency. They both have a deep relationship to writing narratives. So it is interesting to sort of look at that. I agree with you. We talked about this last time. I think Ariana, even in what she shares, it's been personal. I think it's been very cultivated. And I think it's just really interesting, even though I do think the flavor of it is so different because they are very different archetypes. I do think it's kind of interesting. Well, there's a couple things that are interesting here. I think it's kind of interesting that we're talking about both Rachel and Ariana in terms of fear of truly owning my power. And I'm going to, I mean, what I'm hearing is my power is a woman. Like there's something that feels very specific about that too. And then when I think about that, of like them as sort of two stars in a constellation, the fact that Tom is between them, you know, and that Tom, again, to our point about, you know, maybe archetype and sort of the unconscious version of ourselves versus our most evolved constructive version of ourselves, Tom, oh, and this reminds me of something I wanted to say way back when, Mm -hmm. Tom unwittingly, because he didn't do it intentionally, he did not do it intentionally. He may have said he was doing it intentionally, but he wasn't actually doing it. See, Tom's a complicated guy. <laughs> Unintentionally, unwittingly, in the same way that he unwittingly saved the show, he has kind of unwittingly invited both of them into waking up to their deeper power. I actually think Rachel's doing more of a job of accepting the invitation right now. But but look, as everyone's saying, Ariana's also living her best life. So even if she's not doing the emotional work on herself, mm-hmm. she's still out there getting the jobs, being, you know, what do they say? Blessed and booked and busy and whatever. Mm-hmm. The thing that's so interesting to me is, oh, uh, this is how complex Tom is. I don't think Tom ever actually intended to do that. I do think this is a part of his native self, though. Like he, we talked about this last time. He's an initiator. Like you're saying, there's an aspect of him that if he made different choices could be the evolved masculine. By the way, guys, I'm not saying powerful women need a masculine to initiate them. That's not the point. I'm just saying in this case, Mm -hmm. there's an initiator in Tom. And it's interesting that he's unwittingly initiated both of them. But what's so complex about Tom is he would say on a conscious level, yeah, I'm doing everything to support them. I want them to be their best selves. That actually is a good boy facade to cover a deeper negative intention to actually control, manipulate, and use them for his own advantage, which that negative intention Mm -hmm. is actually a cover for his deeper higher self that actually does want to initiate them. And I'm saying all this because, again, I started this by saying Tom is a complex guy, and I'm like, here it is. He's such a fucking shapeshifter. He's such a sorcerer. He's such like, this is why I get so frustrated because much like I was just saying with Ariana, I want Tom to like step into himself because he feels like such a dynamic magician. And if he could gain mastery over all of this, oh my God, he actually would be deserving of the ego he now has, which he doesn't deserve now (laughs) because he's in his immature masculine. So 
I want to say that. And then the last thing I was going to say that reminded me of what I was thinking about earlier is it's so interesting, like this notion of Tom having a historical relationship to feeling used and abused. It's happening right now, even with the show, because the truth is, and this is where things get so tricky, Kirsten, he did save the show. And these people, Lala, Sheena, you know, whoever else did make money off of Scandal. He is getting used. And so, and and there are part, I want to say, like, I've pretty much washed my hands clean with Tom at this point because the commitment to victimization, I just can't tolerate it. But I will say there are little parts where I'm kind of like, I, I get what you're saying, Tom. And the one, one of the few things that I get what he's saying is like, these people, they fucking cashed in. They rode this all the way to the bank and had no problem doing so. He's telling the truth there. He's yeah. telling the truth. And they would look better if they at any point owned any of this. Yeah, like any of that's it. their negative. You're right, Tom. Like I used you and I loved it. Like that's their negative intention. But you know, that's where it gets so, that's where it gets so tricky for a guy like Tom because he's holding on to threads of truth where it's like, again, maybe Nick Vile was a little bit late. It's like, but you were late too, but you fucking used me. You know what I mean? And it's like he holds on to that as like the evidence and the ammunition for why he can't and won't drop his guard into something deeper. He'll never become the empowered version of himself until he is the one holding himself accountable, that radical accountability where nobody has to say it to you. You go, you know what? Let me say something about myself. And you just say it. And Mariana and uh, Rachel are mirrors to each other. They are not shadow elements to each other. They held up the mirror to each other. I think Raquel was probably looking at Ariana a little bit more than Ariana was looking at Raquel. And I, anything, if, if there was any projection, I wonder, because I do believe that Tom projects, you know, like mother issues onto uh, Ariana. I wonder if Raquel also was unconsciously projecting her mother issues onto Ariana. And that's why doing the mm. the naughty, cheeky, do you see what I'm saying? And that little, like, that secret that they had. It was, it, there's a childish quality to it. For example, the lightning bolt. Yeah, You yeah. know what I mean? Very immature. And one thing I want to say about that is, here's the funny part about all this. When you're really paying attention to life, you see a lot of symbolism and things. And it, all these, when you're looking at the symbolism and the deeper layers, it helps you look at what's right about it instead of what's wrong about it. So, you know, with Tom having these this Dionysian energy that runs through him, and then with Raquel, with her hermetic shadow, Hermes, the shadow energy that came in and was the agent of change in all of this, they are both the sons of Zeus. Zeus was the god of thunder and lightning. The symbol for Zeus is the lightning rod. And what was the little symbol that they had as their tricky little secret? The lightning bolt. Well, you're going to die because I didn't even make, I, I, I didn't even make this connection. So I don't normally do this, but for some reason before this episode, I was like, I'm just going to pull a tarot card just to see like, what's the theme of this episode. And I got to like find a way to post this somewhere online. I'm thinking of starting Substack, but the card is literally called Thunderbolt. And if you can see the card, it's just like all these lightning bolts and I'll just read because I actually am familiar with this card. So when I first picked it, I was so drawn to it because I know the meaning of it. But it, again, I totally forgot about the whole lightning bolt motif, which is just crazy. But listen to this. The card shows a tower being... So, you know, I'm thinking in terms of Tom, Rachel, Scandival. The card shows a tower being burned, destroyed, blown apart. A man and a woman, which is interesting, a man and a woman, are leaping from 
it not because they want to, but because they have no choice. In the background is a transparent meditating figure representing the witnessing consciousness. You might be feeling pretty shaky right now as if the earth is rocking beneath your feet, your sense of security is being challenged, and the natural tendency is to try to hold on to whatever you can, Tom Sandoval. But this inner earthquake is both necessary and tremendously important. If you allow it, you will emerge from the wreckage stronger and more available for new experiences. Rachel, after the fire, the earth is replenished. After the storm, the air is clear. Try to watch the destruction with detachment, Mm. almost as if it were happening to somebody else. We're watching TV. Stay yes to the process by meeting it halfway. So I just think it's crazy. That's the card I pulled and it's literally called Thunderbolt. So, you know, these are powerful people, right? At the end of this, Jamie, it's we can talk about other people all day long, but where we find the transformation is we, where we end by saying, and what am I learning about myself in this process? And what am I learning about myself? Who bothers you the most? Who pisses you off the most? Who disgusts you? And you want to look at that. And that's why it's like, you know, you talk about spiritual bypassing. It's like, you know, this is why I'm saying to people in a way, it's like, we want to welcome our dramas and our challenges and our conflicts. Because again, the way that I look at it is like, we are on on a psyche level. When I say co-creating, I don't mean it like, oh, this is happening to me because I'm being punished or I'm being blamed. I mean, Mm -hmm. Scandal is such a great example. Like, I cannot imagine Rachel's life if she had not gone through this. What would she, she'd what? She'd be back on Vanderpump Rules? Like under Tom's thumb, living out this twisted, abusive relationship with him? That's what would have happened if Scandoval hadn't happened. Scandoval was the biggest blessing that could have happened to her. Because again, like the card is saying, it reflected something back to her and she chose to walk with it with consciousness. So that's why I'm saying, you guys, like, I just feel like so often people want to view the spiritual journey as... (laughs) just sort of love and light and me being rewarded for all the good things I do. And I want to say, no, we're here on earth for the trials, the tribulations, the tests, the ups, the downs. This is how, like, it's like storytelling. We learn, heroes learn through conflict. That's how the transformation happens. If they use their free will to engage with it that way. It's the same thing with our, the story of our lives. Like we, conflict is here for us to engage with and hopefully grow through. And it reveals something to us about us. And that's why for me, the spiritual process, it's like, it's dark and it's dramatic and it's got juice and conflict. You know what I mean? But if we play our cards right, we can use it to get through the other side of these spiritual journeys. That's right. Well, I I am drawn to this question of like Tom. So, you know, if Tom were to surrender the whataboutism, And to really let himself drop into, yes, I did something destructive. Yes, I'm the villain in all this. Yes, now Ariana has a reason to be mad at me forever. Like, yes, I feel what I did here. It's just for me, it's this question of like, what is it that he really has to tolerate there that he is bracing against? Well, I believe what he's bracing against is a deep core sense of shame. And the shame comes from not feeling worthy. Now, why? I'm not going to pretend like I'm a psychoanalyst and get into mommy and daddy and all that stuff. But to me, he presents like someone who cannot sit. When I think about him sitting with the shame, it's it almost feels like he wants to shake the skin off his body. It's too much, and to sit with that shame, nobody wants to sit with their shame. You know, nobody wants to, of course, but. If you can, if you can sit with the intolerable, you can actually 
take power over it instead of it taking power over you. Because to me, it looks like Tom's issues have him on a tight leash with a really tight collar right at the neck and they take him on a walk. And it would be really nice to see him start to loosen that. I think it's going to get more pronounced, not less. I don't think he's a piece of shit. I don't think he deserves to have a horrible life. I think he carries a heavy burden. I have compassion for him. Despite the fact that he's caused a lot of pain, Ariana will go on and have an amazing life. Rachel will go on and have an amazing life. Tom will go on and have some amazing things in his life. I don't know if he'll ever feel the depth or the love or the deep joy. I think he'll have fun. I think he'll celebrate. But I think that he he will experience his life like someone who is eating ice cream with a balloon on their tongue. It's interesting when I kind of feel into it. Well, first, I feel like he would have to actually tolerate a conscious experience of his own rage, which just feels so deep and intense. And so then it's like, if I let myself cycle through the rage of just how unfair this feels, how unseen I feel, how unheard I feel. Yeah, then it's the grief and the heartbreak of not being seen and heard, not being met. And then what comes up for me, and I think this is actually connected to the shame. And we actually explored this, my episode that I did about Sandoval with Piper, this came in and I'm really feeling it here. This was like a few years ago. So alone. Like I just feel it, which, you know, kind of explains the codependency. It kind of, because that was the other thing I was thinking, you know, I kept thinking about like, why not just end it with Ariana clean, clear, and honestly. And there were a number of reasons. Like part of it was again, wanting to stick it to her and like have a fuck you. Mm -hmm. But then I was also like, oh, because then he has to move. Well, I mean, theoretically, let's just say Rachel's not in the picture. It's like, he has to do this on his own. Like he's moving out on his own. Whereas, you know, he's always had an escape plan that involves like another woman, right? So I think there's something for him about feeling like it just, the aloneness feels so intolerable. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, if we go with your kind of archetype, the Dionysus, like if he's this guy who's all about connection and community, and then he sort of feels left alone with himself through no fault of his own, simply because like I'm honoring my spirit and not like, letting people give me messages that there's something wrong with me, but there's the shame. It's like, it, oh, I feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Like I'm being left alone just by virtue of being who I am. Yeah. And I think he's never wanted to tolerate that. And um, I think it's, it feels heartbreaking to me as him. Cause again, I always have felt his love. I, you know, I know there are people who say like, oh, his love is just like a narcissistic act of deception. I don't know if that's true. I think it's really interesting too. When I look at people on reality TV, who I experience as having a relationship to narcissistic quality. So like Lisa Vanderpump is another one. I would even say like Nini is another one. But it's like what they all have in common to me is like, I feel their hearts. Yeah. And I feel their love. And so I that's why I'd love to like get someone on here who can talk more knowledgeably about narcissism. Because I often wonder if there's something about the narcissistic wound that is very especially connected to like a wound of the heart and that it impacts people who have a deep capacity for love. Yeah. I think it'd be valuable for people. Is there really an epidemic of narcissism or is there, is it just an overused, uh, trendy catchword? And if it is an epidemic of narcissism, what was going on in these childhoods all at the same time in the seventies, eighties and nineties, right? What was going on? But I, for me with Tom, the reason why he cannot be alone, if he were alone, you'd have to sit with that shame. And he's still in that part of the archetypal narcissist where he needs his echo. They cannot be by themselves. Oh, this is, okay. This is, I know we're ending. This is the last thing I want to say, just because, you know, we've explored this podcast, how like life imitates archetype. 
So, you know, for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram, like we talked about Rachel being Echo last time. And when I was rewatching Vanderpump Rules, there's literally a scene where Jack's he's making fun of Raquel and he says, it's like, what's going on up there? It's like the lights are on, but no one's home. And then he says, echo. And the editors go echo, 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 echo in the actual show. So I saw this after we had recorded our episode. I was like, that's crazy. So that's sort of one instance, but this was the thing that I picked up on in listening to Rachel's podcast. So where, so Narcissus like falls prey to his curse by looking at his reflection in the water. But only the surface of his reflection, just the surface. Okay. But it's in the water. Where did Tom and Rachel's affair start? In the pool in their backyard that Tom invited her into. When I heard that- It's always there. I was like, this is crazy. Scandaval generated from a body of water, the pool in Tom's backyard. And, you know, if we think about this, even in terms of the curse, right? It's like, I personally believe Tom is falling deeper under the spell of his own curse. And it's like he looked in the water and now he's under the curse. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mean, we didn't get too much into this, so maybe we'll save this for another day. You know, Echo, she ended up sort of going off and sort of dying on her own as a hermit, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, this makes total sense. So another card fell out when I was picking the cards and I didn't understand it, but the card is called the outsider. And it's this little child like standing outside this, uh, standing inside this gate. But suddenly I'm thinking about what did Rachel go? Cause echo goes like off to like a cave or something and dies. Mm -hmm. What did Rachel go and do? She went off on her own, became the outsider, went to the meadows, by the way, the meadows, that's another body of water and sort of got her help. I'm going to add something to it that is just going to add to this this conversation, just to what you said. I want to layer cake this. So Hermes is associated with the night, with sex, like with like fornication, with thresholds and transformations. They were in the body of water at night. You know what I mean? The entire thing became a transformative experience. And Hermes is the connecting principle and then disappears connecting principle and then disappears. She caused this whole thing. Not really. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying if we wanted to look at it like, who caused all this? It's Rachel, right? Then she disappeared and went off to the meadows. And no, she didn't, Echo didn't go there to die. But she, when we metabolize shadow, you are allowing, it is a death of sorts to that. Yeah, she did die in a way. That's correct. And there's a rebirth here. It's like when, you know, Persephone went to Hades and then Zeus negotiated for her return and she came back fully owning her shadow. And she was the goddess of the underworld coming back in the spring when all this growth was happening. And that's an aspect when she went away. And to get into the Joseph Campbell of it all, that would be the hero's journey where the hero went to go in a cave and reflect and learn and to gain, get a treasure. And then deciding, do I bring my treasure back to the world and share my gifts and what I have learned with everyone. Do I start this podcast? Do I do this and share what I have learned, right? And so she's becoming the hero of her own story. We cannot keep people in these boxes. You're the shamed one. And when you are with someone who, after you have made errors and mistakes, when you are truly, sincerely trying to own it, if they want to keep you in your position, that person, that's a toxic relationship and that's a dysfunctional system. And so you want to make sure that you're aware of that and refuse 
to keep that scarlet letter on, refuse to keep that albatross around your neck and say, no, I own what I did. I did that. And here's, and I am sorry. And here's who I am now. And I walk with this and I will harvest. I will harvest from this because I planted this and it's not all bad for anyone. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think this is a great note to close on. And it just kind of reminds me, you know, just going back to my example of like the place where I had to own my sort of 15% and that there were destructive things I was doing, even within that relationship where I was technically the victim. It's like the willingness to own my negative intention. And then, like I said, to also own the impact of my actions where let's just say peers had found out about me talking shit about them with this person in a position of power my willingness to stand in that and say, I like, I hear you. Like, yes, I I did this. Mm-hmm. You're right. This is why I did it. It doesn't make it right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I take in this had an impact on you. And I understand you might have to make choices as a result of it. So again, it's just, I, I don't know. There's just something, because I know we sort of talk in these conceptual ways. And I just really kind of, I always love bringing specificity and grounding. It's like just holding all of it. It's like compassion for myself, compassion for you, understanding of why I did what I did, claiming the negative pleasure, but not making myself a horrible person, but also understanding I did have an impact and you might have boundaries as a result of it. And that's okay. It's like, we're all human. And by the way, Ariana is going to have, I mean, I don't think she's going to go out and do something like Tom did, but she has her own moments where she hurts other people. Ariana has been cruel to other people and enjoyed it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all our, we all take a turn on the ride (laughs) and we all play the different roles, you know? So yeah, that's alchemy. To me, that's alchemy. That is alchemy. All right. Well, listen, I know you got to go because you're a busy wife and mom. Kirsten, thank you so much for being here. Where should people find you? I mean, you know, I have my fun, kicky little animal training page on Instagram called Adventures in Dog Training, all one word. And other than that, you can uh, find me on Jamie's other podcast, (laughs) the other episode. (laughs) I have one yes or no quick question for you because you are an animal trainer and you specialize in dogs. Do you believe what Rachel has to say about the story with Graham. I do. I do. I really do. And um, I have also, you know, I believe her whole thing with the rescue. I could also understand why she wouldn't want James to have Graham. I think some of it was also bitter, a bitterness towards James. But I think I also see the other parts of her that she, excuse me, I also see the other parts of James that she mentioned when in, in reasoning why she didn't want Graham to end up with him. Also, that would be one more connecting principle between the two of them. But I I can see why James maybe wouldn't make the greatest dog owner, especially considering he's up and down with his sobriety and addiction. I was very, I felt how painful that must have been and humiliating with the way the rescue handled it. And I saw how all the cast members that had the ability to, that held the power, expose their own character by weaponizing this opportunity and using it as an opportunity to humiliate and hurt her and paint her in the poorest light possible. And she should be grateful for that because now in no uncertain terms, does she, is is there confusion about where she stands with certain people, how certain people who conducted themselves in a certain way feel about her in that with respect to this whole thing. And some of these people would benefit tremendously by having her come back and she can now make this decision knowing in the full light of day. 
But quickly for any uh, dog owners dealing with the kind of aggression that Graham has, that's referred to as idiopathic aggression. It's not a training thing. It's a temperament thing. When a temperament of a dog is off and and has gone wrong like that, is it could be that they were just born a certain way and also could be environmental that contributed to them becoming that way. It could be a combination of the two, which is what it probably was. But I'll tell you this, most COVID puppies had behavior issues regarding temperament and disposition and Graham was the COVID puppy. Oh, that's interesting. It, yeah, and co- I, you guys, any dog trainer or vet that was working during COVID, the most exhausting time of your life because the level of, of effort you had to put into these issues, was it was massive output for little results. And I, I do everything that she said, it lines up with what that process looks like. The rescue should not have done what they did though. It was gross. It's so interesting. And another betrayal. All right. Thank you so much for being here. As always, follow me on Instagram where I definitely have exclusive content. Uh, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. And if you find yourself resonating with this work and this notion of digging underneath your own patterns and perhaps your own choices that you don't feel particularly proud of to find out what is the true energy that wants to be seen, heard, witnessed, and expressed, uh, just go to my website, hollywoodreadings.com. Send me an email. Um, At this point, I am not doing individual readings, but I am working with people on a deeper one-on-one level where we do just this. We take whatever your version of Scandaval is and we unpack it so that you can be a Rachel rather than a Tom. That's it for now. Thank you guys for being here and I will see you on the flip side. Bye. Bye. 